Mr. David Ike, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. You've written a million books. I think uh, your theories, for a large part, have actually come true, and we're seeing a lot of them happening today in front of our face. Yeah, um, it's something I didn't want to be right about, to be honest. Um, I had an extraordinary, what you might call spiritual, not religious, but spiritual experience in uh, 1990. And it set me on a journey of asking the question, what is this reality? Actually, more than one question. <laughs> what is this reality? Who are we? Where are we? What's going on? And who and what actually is controlling and directing the direction of the world? And so 32 years later, I'm still at it. And unfortunately, because um, that wasn't really the idea, um, what I've said in my books over the years has come to pass and is coming to pass actually in fine detail often. Um, and, you know, people have said to me, how did you predict the future? Well, I didn't. What I predicted and what I laid out over this three decades and more is what the plan was for humanity uh, by this uh, network that I've been exposing all these years. And the idea was, and we're now starting to see it stir, the idea was to alert enough people to stop this agenda unfolding. And uh, the fact that it has unfolded uh, means that we've, we've not done that yet. But like I say, um, in the last two, two and a half years, the events in the world have, have made enormous numbers of people I know, because I know what it was like before. Uh, look at the world and look at world events and say, what is actually happening? Where is this world going and why? And who's behind it? All these things happening in the world and you say to yourself, did the public ever have a choice in this? Were the public ever asked? And the answer is no. Uh, and so, Who's behind it then? If the public are not generating it, they're not saying, yeah, okay, we'll go with that, having been given a choice, then someone else is making the choices. And that's the whole point of my work in the last 32 years, along with the deeper, deeper questions, which are fundamentally connected into this, which is, what is this place? What is this reality? Who are we? Where are we? What are we doing here? What I find so interesting is you grew up and you were playing football and that was your way to get out of the slums. And then you get into uh, broadcasting. How do you go from broadcasting to that day in 1990 where you go see a psychic, right? And, yeah. and then she tells you that there's a message from the spirit and so on and so forth. When you walk into that psychic that kind of changes the path that you go, what are the first things that are said? Take me through that experience. Well, what happened is that I was born in a place called Leicester in the English East Midlands, in what they call a working class uh, environment. Uh, we rented the house off the council. And um, I wanted to be a professional footballer from the age of 10, 11. And fortunately, I became one. 
but uh, I had to finish at the age of 21 with uh, arthritis. And all the way through my childhood, I'd always been fascinated by journalism. I read newspapers. Even as a kid, I was reading newspapers. Um, so my second string, if you like, if uh, football didn't work out, was always going to be a journalist. So I became a newspaper journalist and then a radio journalist. And then I uh, started working for the BBC as a national television presenter in news, but later in totality in sport. Um, and then uh, through the 1980s, I became concerned about what was happening with the environment. I was seeing places I grew up uh, as a kid, uh, enjoying and loving being covered in concrete. And so I got involved in um, green politics at that time. I certainly wouldn't get involved now, <laughs> the way it's gone. Uh, but um, I did then. It was different then. Uh, and I became a national spokesman for the British Green Party for a you know, relatively short time. Because um, in that period, would have been around 1987, 88, going through to 1990. Um, I joined the Green Party at a time when suddenly, you know, a, a man and a dog used to turn up for Green Party events. Uh, <laughs> a, a journalist or two maybe would turn up for the national conference, you know. And then suddenly, um, in the European elections of the late 1980s, um, we got this massive vote. And so we were thrust into the, the political limelight, if you like. Um, and so at that time, I'm presenting uh, sport for the BBC nationally, and I'm um, a national spokesman for the British Green Party. But something strange was happening in that period of 1989 going through into 1990, something very strange was happening. And that was um, that when I was in a room alone, it didn't feel like I was alone. And I wasn't into any of this stuff. I was just living a regular life, if you like. Were you um, into any type of it, uh, psychedelics or anything at all? Say again? Oh, I'm sorry. Were you into any, into any type of psychedelics, anything like that at this time? No, 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 no none of that. No, not at all. Uh, I was just a regular guy just getting on with my life. Uh, and uh, And as... The, um, the year 1989 unfolded, this, uh, this presence, if you like, got more and more tangible to me until in the spring of uh, 1990, I was working for the BBC and I was uh, at a hotel um, in Shepherd's Bush near the main BBC television centre. Uh, it was called the Kensington Hilton, it's still there. And I was uh, sitting on the bed, I've just come back from a, a show or something, and this presence in the room was so tangible that I actually spoke out in the room and I said, if there's something there, would you please contact me? Because you'll drive me up the bloody wall. Um, and a few days later, I'm um, near my home, a place called the Isle of Wight, just off the south coast of England. And um, I was with my son, uh, Gareth, little boy then. And I walked into this uh, newspaper shop that I knew well uh, on the seafront. And I was saying to Gareth, who was reading one of the books, come on, Gaz, we'll go up in the town and get some lunch. And as I went to say that, uh, I felt the atmosphere around me change. 
uh, I would now say that was an electromagnetic field. Anyway, um, my feet kind of uh, started to feel as if they were like magnets pulling my feet to the ground. My bottom of my feet started to burn. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I don't know anything about all this. So I'm, I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then I heard it wasn't a voice. It was a very strong thought form. which certainly weren't generated by me, um, which said, go and look at the books on the far side. And I knew this shop very well. I used to buy papers from there all the time. And I knew that the, the books on the far side were romantic novels, uh, which the tourists, it's a seaside place, um, used to buy to read on the beach and stuff. So I, in a bewildered uh, kind of daze, I walk across to these books and in the middle of them was just one that wasn't a romantic novel. It was uh, uh, by a, a woman called Betty Shine. It was called Mind to Mind. So I was attracted to it because it was the only book that wasn't a romantic novel. So I pick it up and I turn it over and I read the blurb and I saw the word psychic. I never, I never met a psychic before, not to my knowledge anyway. Um, like I say, just a regular bloke. And uh, so I read it in 24 hours, found it fascinating. It was um, like, a, like a, a biography of, uh, of her life and how she works. And so I call her and I go to see her and I went four times first two times, and she did um, energy healing. And the reason I, I said to her that I was going was uh, I've got arthritis, you know, from the football. Maybe your healing might help. But my real reason, oh, that, you know, I was open to that as well, but my real reason was I wonder if you pick up what's, um, what's been going on around me. With the feelings that you were having and the heavy feet and just like the gravity pulling on you and maybe the cloudiness, so you went there for the arthritis, but also maybe to clear your head of what you're feeling, thinking, seeing, and so on. So it is brought to you by Let's Get Checked. Are you the man your father was? Recent studies have shown that men's testosterone levels have dropped substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. Think about how old your father was when he was born. For example, if he was 30, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his. Low testosterone levels can have all type of health effects on men. It can affect your mood, sex drive, memory, muscle mass loss, you name it. And yes, low testosterone is more common the older you get, but it can affect men at any age. So let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in a discreet packaging with next day delivery. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. So... If you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com backslash mscsmedia and get 25% off your test using the code mscsmedia. The link is in the description at the top. This podcast is brought to you by Monster Energy. Tear into a can of the meanest energy drink on the planet, Monster Energy. It's the ideal combo of the right ingredients in the right proportion to deliver a big bad buzz that only Monster can. Monster packs a powerful punch, has a smooth, easy drinking flavor. Athletes, musicians, co-eds, road warriors, metalheads, geeks, hipsters, and bikers dig it. You will too. Monster Energy is more than just the green OG. Monster has Monster Ultra, Juice Monster, Monster Hydro, Rehab Monster, Dragon Tea, Monster Max, Muscle Monster, and many more. Buy on Amazon. Buy on Walmart. Or go to monsterenergy.com and believe me, you'll find a place. Unleash the beast. 
Monster Energy. Yeah, I wanted to see if she, she, she picked it up. And the last thing I wanted to do with her is to give her any inkling that anything was happening to me. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, if you want uh, a kind of um, tangible evidence. So I go along a couple of times, we're chatting away and she's doing the healing and, you know, a bit nice chat, nothing happened. And I went the third time and I'm sitting on this medical type bench thing in her front room. She's doing a, a hands-on healing thing on my left knee. And suddenly I felt like a spider's web on my face. And uh, I would say that now too, was electromagnetic field. I didn't know that at the time. Uh, and uh, I didn't say anything, but I did think, whoa, she said in her book that uh, when other levels, other realities are trying to lock into you, you can sometimes feel like there's a spider's web on your face. So I thought, whoa, this, this is strange. I didn't say a word to her. And then about 10 or 15 seconds later, she launches her head back and said, my God, uh, this is powerful. I've got to close my eyes for this one. And my bum is slipping uh, down, the, down the bench now because I'm, I'm in something I know nothing about and, and um, what the hell is going on. And then she started telling me that this uh, figure, this projection in her psychic side was telling her I was going to go out on a world stage and reveal great secrets, that one man cannot change the world, but one man can communicate the message that can change the world, that there, were, uh, there was a, a massive story that had to be told and that all that had been hidden was going to come to the surface uh, and that I would be led to knowledge and at other times knowledge would just be put into my mind and I would just know it. And so obviously when I'm, when I'm hearing this, I'm, I'm thinking, what? Uh, and I went a third time, fourth time rather, and something else uh, happened, something similar. And all I can say is that from the time that that happened, my life dramatically changed. Suddenly the, the BBC um, didn't renew my contract, literally, what, two months later. Uh, and I was a young guy. Most of the people in the sports department, the BBC presenters and stuff were, you know, they were, they were the people I watched on telly when I was a kid, a lot of them, certainly when I was a teenager. Uh, and so um, I would, you would think, have a long longevity um, in that arena. But they just stopped my contract, which forced me out uh, to go on another journey. And at the same time, my life was changing. And, and what was happening was... Uh, very much like uh, the words of, uh, of the psychic said, that I would be led to knowledge because suddenly I would walk into people, personal experience, uh, books, um, documents, whatever, that started to um, show me a picture of how the world was actually not controlled by that which appears to be controlled, like presidents and prime ministers and and governments. Uh, and this just went on and on and on, getting more and more expansive uh, right to present day. And it's encompassed uh, many, uh, what from the human perspective of normal are uh, really far out things. And also um, shown me that the reality we think we are experiencing, this world of solidity and limitation, is actually not what we're experiencing at all. 
it just appears to be like that. So um, over the last 32 years, uh, this synchronicity, and that's what it is, this amazing synchronicity of um, coincidence after coincidence, quote, uh, after the other, has, um, has led me to this, uh, this, this big picture knowledge of, of what the world is and, and what it's being controlled by. And that other point about sometimes uh, we will lead him to knowledge and at other times we'll put knowledge directly into his mind. Well, that has certainly happened because in the first maybe year, couple of years after that Betty Shine experience, um, I would look at information that was coming my direction and I would conclude from that information what was going on. But then there was a shift that has gone on to present day, which is that I somehow know what's going on. And then the information, the names, dates, places, the data, if you like, follows to confirm the original intuitive um, assumption. So uh, it's been an extraordinary life and uh, getting more extraordinary all the time because now um, suddenly, see, because of what I was saying and what I was, uh, some of the far out things I was talking about and writing about, um, I was uh, subject to, to mass ridicule in Britain and then the wider world. Uh, but what's happening now in the last two and a half years is a massive uh, situation that's unfolded in the Netherlands. So when I was asked to go and speak at a peace rally and all hell broke loose among the authorities that I was going to that country to speak for half an hour about peace, um, that um, there is a massive effort now to silence me, to stop me communicating what I'm saying, which is um, further confirmation that um, that. Uh, as, as events have confirmed, that um, the information that's come my way over the last 32 years is actually telling the truth. Well, <clears throat> I read in one of your pieces that you had said the Earth has been around or life two or 300,000 years, right? So Graham Hancock, finally, he was able to release it. Him and his buddy uh, Randall, they had studied the Amazon, the pyramids, so on and so forth. And they didn't want to let out what they had found because they were building a facility to do further research and they didn't want the government to be involved. So as they're studying, there's a lake that goes right in the middle there. It's not there anymore. I think it's, it's very thin. And within that, they have data found bone 100,000 years old. So right there alone, that was just announced maybe two weeks ago. And I believe you had written that in what, 03 or maybe even in the 90s that this is not 6,000 years old or 20,000 years old. This is a long, long time. And now there's data to back what you say, along with how the pyramids were made. And you talk a lot about vibration. And to me, it makes total sense because if somebody says, well, how do you think the pyramids were made? To me, and then I want to hear what you think. To me, I think with vibration, if you take an electric razor, and put it on a table now, it moves. So if a civilization was 10,000 years more advanced than us, why would it not make sense that that vibration on the electric, you know, a regular razor that's battery operated today, in 10,000 years wouldn't be able to move a 70 ton stone? 
why is it impossible for sound to be able to move things? Why is telepathic impossible? And to me, well, that's what I think. <laughs> All of these things are possible. And you know what, mate? You know, one of the frustrating things is it's so bloody simple. Um, the, uh, the academic world and the scientific world that interlocks with it um, seems to believe that to understand reality, to understand possibility, it has to be complex. And you see these massive bloody equations they come out with um, that, that uh, you know, virtually no one understands. Maybe even the people that I don't. <laughs> I don't think they even know. <laughs> it's actually so simple, and it can be broken down to perception creates reality. I mean, there's a lot of background to um, to talk about in relation to that, but that's basically um, the dynamic that we're dealing with. And so if you want to control billions of people, as this network I've been exposing all these years uh, does and clearly is now, um, then you've got to control the perception of the population because then um, they will manifest that reality. So how does this work? Well, first of all, and there's many things come from this, First of all, um, if you said to people, um, when you look through your eyes, can you see everything in the space you're looking at? And most people would say, yes, I can. I can see that wall and I can see that light, I can see this computer. Um, and in between the things that I'm seeing is empty space. That's, that's the way it is. But it's not. Um, first of all, according to mainstream science, um, one figure I've seen anyway, is that the electromagnetic spectrum, which is, which is basically this reality that we're experiencing, is 0.005% uh, of what exists in the, what they call the universe as energy in its different forms. 0.005%, the electromagnetic spectrum. But visible light, which is the only frequency band that we can actually see when I'm looking around this room now, all I can see is what exists within that, um, that visible light, is a fraction of the 0.005%. So humans are basically blind. And what we're living in um, is a, I say in, in quotes for reasons that might become clear, um, is like a television channel. Um, if you look at the analog system, you, this is about vibration frequency you were mentioning. If you, if you look at a, uh, the analog television uh, or radio system, it's different frequencies, different radio television stations sharing the same space. And if they're far enough apart on the dial, in other words, in terms of frequency, then they're not aware of each other. When you put on... Uh, and uh, you, if, when you put on an analog version of CNN or Fox or whatever, uh, you don't you don't hear Fox and CNN coming in uh, on the other the other channel. They're too far away on the dial, um, and the only time you get what they call interference um, is when two radio stations are close on the dial, and and then there's there's this um, interference. So uh, 
in this space that I'm looking at now is the entirety of infinite reality. But the, the human form, the, the vehicle, what I call the biological computer, is only capable in visual terms of decoding a certain tiny, tiny band of frequency, visible light. So immediately, um, you can start to see uh, apparent mysteries um, start to fall, because they do when you come from this perspective. For instance, when people say, um, I saw this UFO or this craft or whatever, and it appeared out of nowhere, and then disappeared into nowhere, or there was some entity at the end of the bed that appeared out of nowhere and then disappeared into nowhere. Well, of course, from, quote, normal reality, and what is normal, it's only what people normally experience. That's all it is. It's not actual reality in its entirety and possibility. It's only what you normally experience. It's what we call normal. Um, from a normal perspective, anyone who says that, saw this entity, saw this craft, disappeared, appeared out of nowhere, they... They look at them and they go, what are you on, mate? That's what's impossible. Well, of course, it's not impossible. Perfectly explainable. What happens is when something enters visible light, the observer can see it. And to the observer, it's appeared out of nowhere. It hasn't. It's come into this uh, frequency band, um, whether it's an entity, whether it's a craft, whatever. And, and, and when it leaves this frequency band to the observer, and everything's about the observer, um, it's, it's disappeared into nowhere, but it hasn't. It's just left what, what human visual sight can see. Hmm. And so the very foundation of uh, our sense of reality, which is that we are part of something that you can see everything that there is to see, is absolutely not true uh, straight away. And when people talk about non-human entities and they say, well, where are they then? I can't see them. Well, my answer is, well, actually, you can't see almost everything that exists in the entirety of reality. They exist outside of this visible light um, frequency band. And unless they enter it, you ain't going to see it. That makes a and lot then, of sense. Uh, when, when we're talking about possibility and, and you know, talking about pyramids and possibility and whatever, um, that we go to another level of, um, of what is this reality? And uh, well, here's, here's one to, uh, to throw in there. The reality that we experience as outside of us is not outside of us at all. It's in here. Uh, you know, I'm looking at a computer now, and the computer is um, picking up a Wi-Fi field. Now, I'm looking around, where's the Wi-Fi field? I can't see it. No, because it's outside of visible light. Um, but what happens is it's a Wi-Fi field, and what does that contain? Infinite amounts of information. It contains the entirety of the information on what we call the Internet, just in that field, that radiation field. But the computer only decodes the part of that infinite field that the program, the uh, computer is programmed to pick up. So now I'm on Zoom, so my computer is picking up Zoom. But all the rest of the internet exists in the field around me, which I can't see. Uh, and so, and then you think, well, 
if you said to someone, what is the internet? They'd say, well, it's, uh, it's pictures on the screen, it's graphics, it's words, it's moving pictures, it's images and all that stuff. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, yes, it is, but only on the screen. The only place the internet exists in that form that we perceive the internet is on the screen of the computer. Everywhere else, it's a Wi-Fi field or uh, electrical circuits. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so what I've been saying over the years is this unfolding technological uh, world that we're seeing unfold is actually mimicking the very reality that we're experiencing. And in this way, I talk about um, the field, and that's the field that we're all interacting with all the time. But because of the five senses, we don't see the field, but we do, we can feel it, but we don't see it. So I'm looking around now in this room, and like I said earlier, I can see a light and I can see a wall, I can see a computer, I can see a cup. And between them is empty space to my five sense perception. But actually, they're all joined, as we are all joined as one united consciousness, infinite consciousness, having different experiences, by this field, this field of consciousness, this field of energy. Some people call it God, call it what you like. It's this field of, of consciousness. And in this field um, we, um, we're interacting with, this field is, is waveform information. And just as the computer is picking up uh, what it's programmed to pick up from the Wi-Fi field, so this is picking up what it's programmed to decode from, I'll call it the infinite field, though there's another level of that I'm sure we'll come to. And so if you look at how the five senses work, they pick up waveform information, vibration, frequency. I mean, the ears are the classic because they're picking up sound waves. For instance, I'm talking now, yes, but there's not words passing between me and the audience. What's passing between us is a vibrational field generated by my vocal cords. And the ears pick up that, um, that field and they turn it, this is mainstream science, yeah. they turn it into electrical signals, they communicate it to the brain. And the brain has certain uh, areas which specialize in decoding different five of the five senses. And then the brain forms that information into a reality, um, a reality which I say is a, a digital holographic reality, which is not outside of us, although I'll, I'll grant you it feels and experiences like that, but it's actually in here, just like it's uh, the, what, I'm, what, what you look at at the computer is inside the computer. Um, Let's try it. Oh, I'm sorry. How, why, while we're on this, how would you throw deja vu in that? Would you consider that, you know, to another dimension crossing at the wrong time or energy just happening to collide at the wrong time? Like an example would be, say the radio station is 92.1 and 92.7 decides to, for whatever reason, turn to 90.0. 
And in that, for that split second, that energy just crossed at the wrong time. And then that would explain partially why, oh, I, I've been here before. I feel this place. I know this smell just for that split second. But you were never there in this reality. Well, you know, maybe you were at one point or maybe there's many possible explanations to that. Maybe, uh, maybe you are experiencing something that uh, you've experienced. Uh, can I put it subconsciously um, experienced it in, in, in another in another way, say you, you might have, have had a dream about it and, and then it, it happens. I mean, there's many different explanations that are possible. But, you know, when you um, you, you mentioned earlier about um, uh, telepathy and stuff like that, what I've just described completely explains telepathy, mm -hmm. because um, I, I've heard many times uh, people say, do you know, I've had this amazing experience. What happened was I was thinking of someone and the bloody phone rang and it was them. Mm -hmm. So and you go, well, that's weird. Well, actually, it's not. Because once you once you get this concept of the field um, and the concept, too, that every time we think and every time we feel an emotion, we are generating a frequency a frequency that relates to that emotion, actually, fear and anxiety and uh, depression are very low, slow uh, frequencies. That's why people in that state often say, oh, I feel so heavy today. And love and joy and happiness are very uh, high frequencies. And thus, when people are in that state, they say, oh, I feel so light today. It's lovely, isn't it? What a lovely day. But what these frequencies are doing as we generate is they're passing through the field. So um, especially if, and again, it's all about frequency and it's all, all, all about tuning into frequency. For instance, if you have a, um, a close relationship with someone, then this, this goes into you know, what became known in Africa and other places around the world as the Bush Telegraph, where men out on the hunt yeah would know what was happening in the village if there was a problem or something. And they'd know, they'd just know. Well, and it was called the Bush Telegraph. The Bush Telegraph is what I'm describing now. The, the thing is that um, in that, uh, if you like, native society situation, people are much more in tune with the frequencies around them. Whereas, you know, you, you, you're looking you, you look in a mega city like New York or London, and, and these frequencies are fighting against mega uh, technological frequencies being generated more and more now with 5G and 6G and 7G to come. That it, it, It's very much more difficult to be sensitive, but this is how it works. So if we go back to the uh, example, you know, I, I thought of someone and uh, suddenly I, uh, uh, the phone rang and they were there. Well, when you were thinking of them, they were thinking of you because they're about to phone you. Yeah. And therefore you can pick up if you're, if you have a sensitivity connection to someone, particularly uh, you can pick up um, what they're giving out. And you suddenly you, you don't think, Oh no, that uh, is so-and-so in Australia. Yeah. He's going to call me now. He's not that, that, that much, but what you get is they come into your mind because their frequency 
is hitting you. And then the phone rings because the reason that you were thinking of them is because they were thinking of you. And all the time, you know, this telepathy is simply frequencies being generated through thought and, and emotion. And other people uh, tuning in and decoding that, uh, that frequency. Uh, and, and that's where telepathy comes from. It's, it's ever so simple. You know, you don't need equations all over the bloody wall. It's real simple. It, there, there's a very simple explanation, and especially the way you break it down. Now, <clears throat> when you speak of that, and then we had in uh, Robert Beto, who uh, he works with Elon Musk. He did a lot of different stuff. And his theory was just like yours. And what was odd is that they had pretty much come up with this maybe two years ago, three years ago. And his writings were space never began. It never ends. The space-time continuum. And he was the first one that shed light to me that the Big Bang never happened. And I said, come oh. on. Because, you know, as a kid, that's all you hear. Yeah, I know. I wrote and, that in the 1990s. Big Bang never happened. It's I, a joke. I know. And, it, and I'm telling you, two years ago is when these modern or whatever you want to call it, big tech started to go a little bit back on that. And now they're really going back on that. But you had written it in the nineties and he had said, you know, when he was here a year and a half ago, the big bang happens all the time. It's just a collision. Would you agree with that? And that yeah, space, well, I'm sorry. And he also said that space is like a rubber band. It never begins and it never ends. It's just like a rubber band that keeps expanding with the black holes into another universe and another universe, whereas before we had thought that a black hole would just eat you up and spit you out. Now they, they're, yeah, they well, say, I, I, I want to hear yeah, what you have to think about that. <laughs> I want that prediction, Mr. Would, Ike. Yeah, I would go further than that. Please do. You know, um what happened is just after the turn of the millennium, I had this overwhelming feeling, knowing you might call it, that we live in a simulation. The dramatically uh, air, um, advanced version of a virtual reality game. And um, at that time, just after the turn of the millennium, I could only find one other person anywhere in the world, on the internet anyway, that was saying that. And it was a guy called Nick Bostrom, who's a professor at Oxford University. And he was talking about the possibility that our reality is a simulation, but he was, he was doing it in a different way. He saw it in a different way to the way I saw it. Anyway, I wrote it in the books. You know, this is what I feel. This, this is why I feel we're in a simulation. And I said, and I suggest that the limit of the simulation in this reality that we're experiencing, there are other levels of it, um, is the speed of light. And that speed of light is not the fastest speed possible. It's um, the fastest speed in this level of the simulation. And therefore, it appears to those in the simulation as if it's the fastest speed. And in the spring, April, I think it was, of 2021, Scientific American published an article by an academic saying that he concluded that we live in a simulation and the limit of the simulation is the speed of light, which got kind of pricked my ears up. And one of the things I've been saying over the years is what we call the laws of physics 
are actually the rules of the simulation. Just as you have a virtual reality game and whoever creates the game writes the rules, the limitations, what's possible, what's not possible. So the, what we call the laws of physics are the laws of the simulation. And that's why when people have these near-death experiences, they describe a world in very common uh, terms and themes that has a very different, uh, if you like, law of physics than, than we have here. It makes sense from where I'm coming from. Why do they always um, say they see white? Why do they always say, I see a white, white, I see white, I see white, I see white? When somebody's in a near-death experience, eight out of 10 will say, I saw a white light. Do you think that that's something that was just shoved in their subconscious all their life from other people saying, oh, I almost died and I saw the light? And then, well, what I'd like to do, what I'd like to do, if it's possible, sure. is is to come back to that to that in a, in a moment. Absolutely, uh, I have written about that. Uh, my my latest book is called The Trap, and 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 one aspect of of that is that light. What is it? Um, but the, to just to continue the point about the simulation, what um what this academic said in Scientific American is that he went with the thing about the laws of physics are actually the laws of the simulation. But it, he then said that he felt the um, the limits of the simulation is speed of light. And he related that to the processing speed of the simulation. He points out you can have all the laws and physics and rules that you want, but you're still going to be limited by your processing speed. So that's where he was coming from. And what I found interesting from the time I was talking about this and uh, just after the millennium, is how many now mainstream scientists in the different disciplines have come forward and said, it does like, look like we live in a simulation. There's Silas Bean, um, a physicist who led a team at the University of Bonn in Germany, who concluded that we probably live in a simulation and that it's based on a matrix of cubes. Um, there was uh, Rich Terrell at NASA in the computer department who said in uh, 2017 that he concluded that we do live in a simulation and that it's a holographic simulation, which is what I was saying all along. Also, uh, Brian Cox. That, is it Brian Cox? Yeah, if, he says um, that as well. Yeah, he, he, said, he said, if it's a simulation, then it's not natural, is it? So some force has created it. And, and that's what I've also been saying all along since the 1990s, to great ridicule, but a lot less now. Um, and so um, when I talk about this, this field, there's two fields. There's the field that you, uh, you might call the infinite field. And then there's the simulation field, which is because what this, what this simulation, this matrix is, is information. And this matrix field has overlaid the infinite field and which being tuned in to this matrix field, so that that's what we are, um, that's what we are experiencing. We're not experiencing infinite reality in that in that sense. We're experiencing this overlaid matrix reality. What would be what would be the infinite field? What would the infinite field be? How would you describe that? That is the infinite field of consciousness. That is all that is, has been, and ever can be. And what many people call God, I call it the infinite. It's, it's that of within which everything happens. Everything is an expression of that. 
But what has happened with this um, simulation field? It, it's 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 been overlaid, and what's happening now with this smart grid, with this cloud, this technologically generated cloud from space and from uh, towers all over the world? That's another level. That's another technological uh, level. Another technological field that's that's being created within the the simulation field that operates within the uh, within the uh, infinite field, and so um, we are decoding this reality from this simulation field. And I, I use this analogy in the book, the trap. Um, if you um, are in the womb and you've got a virtual reality headset and you come out of the womb uh, still with a headset on, and your parents have got the headset on. And so you're communicating with each other and you're perceiving reality according to what the headset is feeding you. And you've only got to see people, there's many videos of it on the, uh, on the internet, who have these headsets on, these virtual reality headsets, and they're in a quiet room like this, but not in their perception they're not. In their perception, they are where the headset information is telling them they are. They're thrashing around and all this stuff uh, because the what do these virtual reality um, the games do? They override the five senses. They uh, connect into the five senses, which starts decoding a different reality. So if you look at the most sophisticated ones, they put the gloves on. That's the feel senses, the sight senses, the hearing senses. And suddenly, there's five senses that, that were perceiving this reality are now being overridden by technologically generated information, which they are decoding into a, a fake reality. So take the analogy on. Uh, you come out of the womb with a headset on, and you, um, you then uh, have parents with a headset on, brothers and sisters with a headset on. You go to school. Everyone in the school has got the headset on. The teacher's telling you about what reality is and what you must believe and not believe and everything like that, um, they've got the headset on. You go on to university, the professors have got the headsets on. You go out into the world, your peers around you in the world of work have got the headset on. You put the television on, hello, good evening and welcome. The presenters and the journalists, what pass for them, have got the headset on. Then a politician comes on and makes a speech. He's got a headset on, she's got a headset on. Um, uh, the scientists have got headsets on, apart from those that, that are at the cutting edge. Um, the academics have got the headset on, and if they don't do what the headset tells them is real or say what the headset tells them is real, they're going to lose their job very quickly. We've seen that in recent years, my God. Doctors too. Um, and so, and, and then everyone with a headset is confirming to everyone else that what the headset is feeding them is reality. And, and then nobody people knows. Like me come along. They say it's all an illusion, mate. You know, you know, it's it's not like you think it is. And what the headset people do is they call you mad, okay. and they ridicule you, and they call you dangerous. I just spoke. I just had uh, uh, Robert Epstein in, Doctor Malone, all, all these doctors, and I I just tried to, a couple of days ago to talk to somebody. You know, just from what I learned right away, you're nuts. You're doing too many of those podcasts, and I, and I say. Do you know who these people are, like yourself, like uh, Mr. McCullough, Malone? 
These guys have 40 years of research. They make vaccines. They, you know, they don't go on podcasts unless there's a problem. But what, just like you're saying, when you try to explain reality to somebody or the possibility of what reality is, automatically you're nuts. You know, it's a conspiracy. You need to go to a mental institute. And I was stuck on the, uh, I used to call it the Minecraft, the simulation for a long time. I would go back and forth between dimensions and simulation. And then can simulation yeah, survive with, with, with the dimensions Minecraft as well? And, uh, things like that. I, I, you've probably come across the the work of, uh, of uh, academic physicists um, and uh, such like who pointed out that this reality is can be broken down into mathematics in the same way that um, computer systems can. And that basically the physics of virtual reality games are the physics of our reality. Um, and uh, there's a guy called Max Tegmark oh, yeah. at uh, MIT, or at least he was at MIT when I uh, researched uh, what he was saying. He was saying exactly this, um, that you can look at the mathematical nature of our reality, and it's just the same as, um, as a virtual reality game. And then there's um, James Gates, who was a science uh, advisor to the Obama administration. Hmm. He um, started looking uh, at the possibility that we are in a simulation, in a matrix, and he did... Uh, press conferences in which he pointed out that um, what you find in computer systems, you find in the fabric of this reality. And so you can start to see why it is that this technological world that's rolling so fast and changing our society so fast is actually mimicking the very reality that we experience, because in that sense, um, the reality that we're experiencing is not natural, it's, uh, it's created. And it's created in the same basic way as the Matrix movies um, portray. If you um, look at um, how the, the Neos and the Morpheuses, et cetera, entered the Matrix, they didn't walk into it with their bodies. Their bodies were outside the matrix. Um, they went into the matrix with their minds. That probe in the back of the neck connected them to the information that was the matrix and their brain started to um, decode it. Now, just relate that to a headset. And suddenly um, you can see the concept. This is a manifestation of our mind. And I, I say in the trap, I think everything is a manifestation of mind, including the body. Uh, and uh, so, um, you know, I'm looking at uh, reality from a completely different direction to, to the mainstream. But what is happening more and more is mainstream people are coming out and saying, well, actually, it does look like this. It does. It does. So how would the dimensions counter align or align with the simulation? Because like I said, I was stuck on that simulation for a long, long time. That's what made sense to me, along with the dimensions. But how would that, could they coexist? 
could a simulation and dimensions coexist? Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, if you look at the infinite field, it's an infinite field of different realities, what people call dimensions. What are those different realities? They're different bands of frequency. Um, and what this simulation is, is something that is overridden and become a self-contained reality within infinite reality. And the idea is to uh, maintain humanity within a state of uh, ignorance about it, where it is and what it is and what's going on, so that we stay within this enclosed field that I'll call the matrix or the simulation. Now, this is fascinating. You should raise this because um, in the book, The Trap, I, I do um, explore all this in, in, in detail because I looked at, I've looked at all possibility and I, what I don't do is just dismiss it uh, unless I know it's not true from what I've seen before. I don't just dismiss it. I give it a chance to, um, to, to make its case. And I, I've looked at um, reincarnation, uh, the recycling of, like, of consciousness in and out of this reality through the vehicle, the body. And I've seen enough evidence to convince me that it's real. But I have big questions that follow that. Um, according to mainstream science, as, as they project it currently, uh, compared with the projected size of the universe, planet Earth is the equivalent of a billionth of a pinhead. So if you go to the Eastern religions, um, they are saying that we have to keep reincarnating to learn lessons, to reach a state of enlightenment where we don't longer have to be in that cycle, that wheel of misfortune that I would call it. Um, and so the idea that we have to keep reincarnating onto a billionth of a pinhead to learn lessons, to reach a the state of perception and enlightenment where we don't have to do that anymore, frankly, seems rather ridiculous to me. And the other question I had, or I had many, but this was another, um, given that if you look outside the, 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 the world of the more privileged uh, of Western society and more privileged of other societies as well, then most people have a bloody hard time here. You look around the world. I've been to, I've been to countries, many, many countries. I've been to about 60 countries. Now, wow. Um, where you look at life in those countries and you think, my God, what a nightmare. What a daily uh, uh, trudge and battle to survive. What's one of and the so worst countries you've was, been to? What's one of the worst ones you've well, been to? Well, there's, there's a lot in Africa. There's a lot in yeah. South America. South America. I mean, I remember being in Ecuador. Oh. And uh, I went to this massive rubbish tip and I a massive rubbish tip. And, and there were people living in makeshift homes around the rubbish tip. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And then the vans would appear from the Western hotels um, with the, the, the food that hadn't been eaten. And they would tip it onto the tip. And then suddenly people appeared from everywhere to, to, to get the food. You know, it was... It was horrific, heartbreaking to watch. Um, but 
the point I'm making is, and the, the point I asked was, I can understand you might get trapped and come, in, come into this reality once, but when you left it, you'd say, I ain't going back I'm there. Going back. I've had enough. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my point is that, so why do people keep reincarnating? And, and how does this reincarnation work? And then um, as I explore in, uh, in the trap, um, it seems to me that this level of the, uh, of the, the matrix, the simulation, is only one level of it. There are other levels of it. And those other levels are known as the spirit world because um, there's the, the simulation levels where you, your consciousness gravitates to um, when you leave the body, if you're in a, not in a high enough vibrational state, perceptual state, state of enlightenment, exactly what they talk about in the Eastern religions, to get out of here, to get out of the matrix, which is a, a frequency field. It's a frequency prison. Almost like a bubble. Um, then you, you, you gravitate to other levels of the matrix, the non, what you might call the non-physical level. So there is no physical, really, if you get deep into it. And then you keep coming back. And, you know, uh, there's this great line, um, death is no cure for ignorance. And you can remain in a state of ignorance within the matrix and believe that these other levels of the matrix are actually the spirit world. And you can actually believe that actually what you need to do is keep uh, coming into this to uh, reality to learn lessons in it. And, and the whole point uh, of the matrix and that which is behind it is to keep consciousness within it within the frequency walls of the matrix oh. uh, field, prison. Because then they're not going to get out. And there's this um, old um, esoteric concept of the ring pass knot, which is said to be a uh, point, almost like the outer skin of a bubble, that if you uh, don't have a frequency high enough to get through it's all about frequency this ring pass knot this wall of the matrix as i would call it then you stay within the matrix and the idea of the matrix both in other levels of it which we reincarnate from and this level particularly is to hold people in a low vibrational state now how do you do that you control their perception everything is perception everything not only perception, although it's part of perception, is self-identity. So, for instance, um, when we come into this reality with the head cell, we are um, encouraged and pressured to perceive the I, the, the self, with the labels of a human life. I am our man, I am our woman, I am our this race, I am our this religion, I am our this sexuality. That's who I am. No, no, that's the trick. They are not who we are. They are what our consciousness, the true I, is experiencing. But if you uh, self-identify, it's not that you don't say, okay, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm having experience as a man, experience as a woman, experience this sexuality, whatever but that's not who I am, it's what I'm experiencing. Then you can be in this world um, uh, uh, in, in terms of the labels, but not of this world in terms of your perception of the true I. 
But if you if you lose that perception of the true eye and everything's about telling us to do that, then you start self-identifying, perceiving with the limitation of the labels of a human life. And what do those labels relate to? The five senses. And the five senses are the point with which the body interacts and um, interconnects yeah. with the matrix, the simulation field. So the idea is to pull us in. Now, if you notice, and you know, I, I've exposed all this in the books over the years and the talks, um, th that which is behind the matrix, that is which is behind world events, not politicians, they're gophers, that's all they are, um, is uh, in full knowledge of reality and what they're doing. So what they're doing now is they are subdividing the previous labels of a human life into smaller and smaller myopia of labels. So now we have LGBT and on and on and on the letters go. I think it's a massive number of letters that some universities are using now for self-identity. And every single one of those letters is a self-identity relating to the five senses. So now the I is my sexual preference. No, no, no. I don't care what your sexual preference is. Enjoy, as long as you don't force it on anyone else. Right. But that's what you're experiencing. You are the I. And when, when you um, fall for the, the label trick, which most people do, because that's all they hear, um, you are going into this myopia, this tiny focus of attention that relates to your self-identity and the world that, as you perceive it. When you re redefine your self-identity, no, no, they are my experiences. I and the consciousness, ultimately an expression of infinite consciousness that is having the experience, then two things happen. First of all, you start to expand your, your awareness and your perception of reality out into the greater field. And the more that you um, expand your reality by taking the padlock off your sense of the possible, the more your uh, frequency is expanding and increasing to go beyond the simulation field another into the infinite field. Another overall. And at that point, yeah, exactly, mate. And, uh, and as you start tuning into the infinite field, this is what awakening is, then you start to perceive this reality from a completely different perspective. Now you can see how the dots connect and how the strands are part of a tapestry, and how everything's not random. You can see it because you're beyond that which is feeding you your fake sense of reality. Um, and so um, when you do that and your, your frequency uh, increases, um, your perception changes, so your frequency changes, so you reach a point of self-identity that when you leave, not only in the body you can connect out beyond the matrix and all the nonsense it's feeding you, but when you leave the body, you're in a high enough vibrational state, out, away. Um, uh, and that's why they want people 
to leave the body in a lowest vibrational state that they can. And when you see how people are left to die, how their their old people are treated, etc., in their last years of life, and it's all low vibrational stuff, or overwhelmingly so, when they leave the body, they're in that vibrational state. It's a trap. And the way out of the trap is to realize it's a trap, realize how it works, and realize the nature of the true I, because that will get you out of the trap. That's what they don't want you to realize. It was brought to you by Fiji. More than just water. This is not just rock. It's ancient volcanic rock that filters tropical rain, giving it double the electrolytes and its signature soft, smooth taste. It's not just water, it's Fiji water. This episode is sponsored by WestonJohnBoucher.com. Even after a decade of exposure to the fashion industry while fully immersed in the modeling world, model and future designer Weston John Boucher still hadn't found clothing that checked every box when it came to look, feel, quality, durability and price. His solution was to create a menswear brand that would bridge the gap between designer level pieces and reasonable price points without sacrificing quality. Weston's aim was to provide men who prioritize their health with effortless sophistication and style through simplicity of flattering fits, handsome designs, and amazingly comfortable materials. It's time to elevate your style. Experience obtainable luxury by Weston John Boucher at WestonJohnBoucher.com. Use the code Tommy to save 25% off your first purchase, their largest discount ever. I'll tell you right now, it would give Imperial Armani, Giorgio Armani, Page a run for its money. So go to Weston, W-E-S-T-O-N-J-O-N-B-O-U-C-H-E-R.com. Use the code Tommy, T-O-M-M-Y, and save 25% off. Link is in the description below. See, before reading your, your material, your work, I never thought of that light. The light coming in so you can see it, it goes out, you can't see it. And then I thought that when you died, being that with the glasses on and everybody else has the glasses on, so nobody, it doesn't, nobody knows, you know, it's just like when Google doesn't, when Google shows you what it wants to show you, you don't know that it's actually showing you what it wants to show you, not what you're actually searching for. So I had, I had always thought that when you die, the last thing released was DMT. Then furthermore study, they came up, they found advanced DMT and under a scope, it mutates so fast that they can't even measure the energy in the alternative DMT, which they had found in the kidneys, brain, lungs, and liver along with DMT. So I always thought, well, when you die, that's a hell of a lot of energy. It's got to go somewhere. But now you throw in the frequencies, the light, the simulation, I mean, there's a lot to everything. So with yeah, that, there's, there's a couple of things I would please do. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, please. No, there's a couple of things I'll pick up on. Uh, first of all, you make a fabulous point about Google because we all know now it's been well, well, uh, it's been well exposed, it's documented. For a long time. Yeah. What what Google is doing is fixing the search engine so that you only see what they and that which owns and controls Google and YouTube um, wants you to see. But there's information elsewhere 
that gives you a different fix on reality and situations, but you're not seeing it on Google, except if you if you get your uh, wording absolutely perfect, or you go through pages and pages and pages and pages of stuff. That is such an analogy of how the, the nature of reality and the nature of what's going on in the world is kept from us by this by this system. But the other point, and, and this you mentioned the light, it, it comes back to this this tunnel of light. That got me interested too, and I write about this in the in the track. Um, so many people who had near, near death experiences, um, they say that they they went through this tunnel of light. It's a very common theme. Light the light. And when they get to the end of the the, the tunnel, there are loved ones or whatever, um, and uh, they um, they talk about a point where if you cross it, sometimes it's symbolized as a wall, sometimes it's symbolized as an archway, whatever. If you go through that, then you can't come back into the body. Um, and because they're near-death experiencers who do come back into the body, um, you they don't know what's beyond that. They, they, obviously they don't. Um, and so what I say uh, in the trap is that you go beyond that point and you're going into the recycling system of the matrix so that you're going to come back into reincarnation. And when I was writing the book, I, I read a lot of the, the work of therapists and psychologists and what have you, who had uh, sought to take people back in their consciousness to memories of the what you might call between human life world and i found it very compelling because common themes were compelling and i looked at it and i read what they were saying and how they were describing it and i thought this is another bloody hierarchy this is another control system they're not talking about infinite reality and uh, uh you know, going into the infinite forever and exploring wherever they want. No, they were talking about a hierarchy. And then the hierarchy would, would, and they'd meet groups of elders who would, who would discuss their previous life on earth. What? I'll decide what I do, mate. Not you, bunch of prats. Thank you very much. Um, who are you? Who are these people in these other levels of the matrix? It's another hierarchy. And, and all hierarchies are control systems. You know, um, you know I, I have no problem, for instance, with global um, uh, entities that coordinate cooperation between different sections, groups, countries. No problem with that. But that's not what happens. The hierarchy is a top-down dictatorship, that kind of hierarchy. And I saw that in the so-called after human life world and the pennies started to drop and you know i i what i do in the book i mean it, it does go into some very um uh deep areas i um started to realize i do explain why i think that and the evidence to support it that while we're in um a a human life we are being tracked we're being tracked from these other levels of the simulation. And well, people say, oh, you can't track 8 billion people. Well, hold on a minute. Why the, not? The, the Chinese, 
the Chinese oh, population is about five billion, <laughs> and, they and they're being tracked in real time more and more with their eyes. Why closed. can't we? They but, Chinese track with their yeah, eyes closed, <laughs> and every other country yeah, as well. And, and, <laughs> exactly, and and you will have come across this concept of the Akashic records, um, which. Um, is a concept in the um, esoteric world. And uh, it basically was made popular by a bloke called Edgar Casey, who used to go into a trance and then talk about you know, healing and reality and the future and all that stuff. Um, and uh, the Akashic Records, I, and I, you know, when I started in this process uh, from 1990, I came across the Akashic Records, but I, I didn't really, really go there much. And then when I was writing The Trap, I thought, Akashic Records. That sounds to me like a, almost like a database. So I started reading about it and what was claimed. And even in some of the analogies that were um, describing these Akashic Records, these Akashic Records, according to Edgar Casey, were a level of reality where everything is recorded and everything that's happened in the human world is known. Story. Conversations, happenings, events, all of it is, is recorded. And I thought, sounds to me like a bloody advanced database. So I, uh, I started reading about it. And as I say, even in some of the analogies that people promoting the existence of this, um, these um, Akashic records, were describing them in terms of a computer system and a computer database. And I thought, well, that's exactly what it seems to me they are. Um, and so um, for me, all this reincarnation, karma, and all this stuff going on, um, it's actually being driven by a level of AI that is vastly, almost inconceivably more advanced than the AI that we're having now. But what in this reality, but what it seems to me is these levels of AI that operate in other levels, other frequency bands of the matrix, um, are actually now being filtered in and sifted in to our reality. Um, so we are starting to mirror here what's actually running the matrix in other levels of reality. And so, um, you know, you, you have this concept that near-death experiences talk about of the, um, the life review, where the whole life, their whole life passes before them and it's reviewed by these elders and all that stuff that they talk about. Uh, well, if you had an Akashic record, which is literally an immensely advanced database containing everything um, that happened in your life, well, that becomes suddenly, um, suddenly possible. Uh, and I do, um, I do think that the, the trap goes much deeper than, I mean, I've explored and revealed in, in enormous detail how this world, with the human world, is controlled. Um, and who buy and to what end. But when you go into these other levels of the matrix, um, you, can, uh, you can see that it's much, much deeper than that. And then 
<clears throat> I really like how you speak about the Illuminati. How does the Illuminati fit into all this where it makes sense? How how would you how would you fit in the Illuminati in a simple way? Because so far, okay. you've been excellent at explaining. Yeah, okay. Again, it's very straightforward. Uh, it's very simple. Very simple. Um, I mean, the complexity is how it plays out. It seems to be complex, but you get it to the core, and it's simple. Uh, for me, genius is not understanding complexity. It's seeing the simple hidden by complexity. Um, and this um, this whole in its foundation, it's it's very simple the way it works. If it was too complex, it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, work. So, um, back in uh, from about 1996, I started meeting people in America. I was traveling around America. I spent I call it a speaking tour, but I wouldn't really because I was speaking. That's true. <laughs> But no one was listening, and no one was listening. You know, I couldn't fill a phone bowl, uh, phone booth, really. Uh, but what I was doing was meeting enormous numbers of people again, very synchronistically, all around America, and I was picking up enormous amounts of information from whistleblowers, from insiders, and whatever. And um, I then um, started to look at this and think, well, this control system was not created five years ago or 50 years ago so if it exists uh, then now then there must be evidence of it through the ancient world so i started looking at um different native cultures uh i looked at um one in particular, the Zulu culture, and a wonderful friend of mine, no longer with us, unfortunately, called Crater Mutwa, a Zulu shaman, official historian. Yeah, amazing, amazing man. And I then I looked at the uh, the writings of the Gnostic people, the Gnostic belief system, from um, documents that were found in an earthen jar in Nagamadi about 75, 80 miles north of Luxor in Egypt in 1945. Um, and uh, then I looked at the concept of uh, the jinn in, um, in Islam. And I looked at the concept of the demons in Christianity. And I started, and I, I talked to Aboriginal people in Australia as well. And you start to pick up this absolutely common theme of a non-human force operating outside of the human scene that is manipulating human society. Um, and interestingly, if you look at, at the Gnostic writings and the Nagamadi texts, which, which are a real treasure trove, really, I mean, of information, about a fifth of those texts found in 1945 um, and estimated to have been hidden away in that earthen jar, maybe about 400 AD, although they would seem to go back further. And they would seem to be connected to the great library or Royal Library of Alexandria, which was a great um, depository of ancient knowledge. Uh, and, you know, there were people connected to the, um, 
great library in Alexandria who were talking about um, the earth going around the sun thousands of years really of, of, you know or many 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 hundreds of years anyway before um, it became a, a, an accepted fact um, and they about a fifth of these writings these um, Gnostic writings talked about archons now archon is um, a Greek word meaning rulers and they talked about the archons um, being the controllers of human society and interestingly they said in these writings that go back all that time that the archons created a fake reality and that this world that we are uh, experiencing as humans is a fake reality and they describe it in these terms it's a bad copy of original reality hmm. prime reality i'll call it prime reality that still exists and so um one of the things i write about in the books is how this matrix is actually a frequency digital holographic copy of prime reality or just part of prime reality prime reality with an infinite reality and that this is a, is a trap and this whole concept about the garden of eden the garden of eden is the the reality the prime reality i would say that humans consciousness as we call it now got trapped into um and so if we're looking at this level of um the matrix beyond the human scene uh and some people call it the lower astral call it lower fourth dimension if this you call this the third dimension is where these um entities and ultimately a very distorted disturbed state of consciousness um actually exist and so when i um have uh, researched famous people within this reality in politics and business and corporations and all these different elements um so 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 many times um a common theme has been satanism and so when the ancients talked about sacrifices to the gods and they talked about um worshiping the gods well who the hell were these gods and um they did it openly in ancient times now they do it secretly in their satanic rituals all around the world which are extraordinarily common um and the the, the big rituals of the big names so who the hell these people um are very disturbed but they're not intellectually stupid they wouldn't be doing satanic rituals to that which doesn't exist so what are they doing them to and what you realize then is that these lower levels of the astral which are which are part of this matrix um that's where these uh these gods exist these gods that christians call demons islamic people call the jinn the gnostics call the archons and credo mutwa and the zulus call the chitahuri and so what they are doing in their rituals is they're um they're having sacrifices and rituals to the gods and these are the entities in these uh this 
this other dimension, which is very, very close to this one, but not close enough for us to, to see. And I've talked to um, former Satanists and people that took part in rituals against their will all over the world, America, Canada, Britain, Australia, and so on. And they describe uh, how what happens in these rituals is they're creating an energetic environment which thins out the frequency difference between this reality and the, uh, the reality of the, of the gods. So that some of these, quote, gods can slip into the rituals through these like vortexes of um, thinned out difference between the dimensions. They can't stop for long, but they, they so many people have described seeing them manifest and describe them in the same way. It's very compelling. And the, the other thing that you, you think of is, so what's this sacrifice to the gods all about? Well, this lower end of the astral, this lower uh, end or this part of the, the matrix where these gods exist, um, is a very, very low vibrational uh, uh, state of being, a frequency band. And if, if it's like radio stations and television stations in the analog system. If you're going to absorb energy, then you have to absorb it within the frequency band that you're operating. Because if you're not, then the energy will pass through you like two radio stations pass through each other without uh, interference. You're going to absorb it. That energy has to be within your frequency band. And so the frequency band of this lower astral of these gods, which will explain a lot about the state of our world, is the same frequencies that relate to low vibrational emotion, fear being the fear and terror being the major, major foundation one, depression, anxiety, all these uh, resentment, hatred, uh, all these low vibrational emotions. So the more that they can generate humans to create by their state of being, the more energy there is for them to absorb. And in a sacrifice ritual, they are um, particularly um, designed to generate maximum terror from the sacrifice. And when they talk about in the ancient world, uh, sacrificing young virgins to the gods, they were talking about children. And that's why, as I've found across the world, children are a major, major uh, sacrifice, that these uh, sick beyond description uh, people um, sacrifice to the gods, young virgins, exactly. Um, and so as the, 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 the sacrifice is feeling this terror, it's giving off these frequencies of terror. And these gods are absorbing them. Absorbing, sucking. So when in the Matrix, when in the Matrix movie, um, Morpheus held up a battery and said the machines have turned humans into one of these, it was actually a profound truth because these gods feed off low vibrational human energy, emotional energy, massively, and thought energy. Um, and so they have to keep us in a certain perceptual state too, so we keep generating that energy. So just to finish the point, the question was, 
Um, so how does that relate to the Illuminati? Well, these gods, by their definition, are operating outside of the frequency band of our reality. So they can enter it, they can't stay for long because there's a frequency incompatibility. So what they've set up in our reality is a vast network, now vast network, which I call the global cult, um, which is a global network of secret societies with an interlocking central leadership mission control. And the spider, I call it, that is in the shadows. You don't see the spider. You see the assets and the agents of the spider. You don't see the spider because um, they don't want us to see that. And that spider is essentially these gods in this, uh, this other um, frequency reality, this other frequency band. And so this is how it works. You've got the spider. And then um, if you just uh, picture the, the, the world with a vast spider's web around it, and all these different strands of the web, are different secret societies, semi-secret groups, or things that we experience in the world of the scene, governments, government agencies, banking systems, Silicon Valley, World Health Organization. Um, and the, the structure goes like this. You've got the, the spider, that's the, 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 the God level, if you like, call themselves that. And then the strands in the web immediately around the spider, the inner inner circle, that's where um, the people uh, really know what the game is, what's going on, and what the whole thing is all about. But you don't see them. Um, th th a lot of those secret societies don't even have names because it makes them harder to track. But as you come out from the spider, you're now meeting the secret societies that we do know about. The Freemasons, and I'm not talking about Bill and Joe down the lot. <laughs> I'm talking about the inner core, right? The, 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 the rest of the Freemason hierarchy, or, or, or uh, the vast majority of Freemasons in the world are on the bottom three levels of degree. They are basically used as the cover for the inner circle. Um, and then you've got the Knights Templar, the Knights of Malta, the uh, inner core of the Jesuit order, the uh, Opus Dei, etc. And they are fiercely compartmentalized. They have degrees, degrees of, of what? Knowledge. So it's only the inner circle that know about the spider and the agenda, and most of the others do not. It, and the more you come out down the hierarchy, the less they know. And so you're still in the hidden, but then you meet in this web what I call the cusp. And these are a group of organizations whose job it is to take the agenda for humanity from the hidden and play it out into the world of the scene. So these cusp organizations will include the Council on Foreign Relations in America, um, the uh, Bilderberg Group, the Club of Rome that was created by this cult in 1968 specifically to exploit environmental concerns to justify the uh, centralization of global power, exactly what we're seeing now with it the climate change situation. Uh, and you also see in this cusp, this massive explosion of non-governmental organizations and um, what they call think tanks. And their job, and most of them will not know about, well, overwhelmingly, most of them will not know about the spider, but it's all compartmentalized. 
But their job is to take the agenda from the hidden to play it out in the world of the scene. So in the world of the scene, you see governments, government agencies, Silicon Valley, all the rest of it. And to us observing the world, they all seem random and they all seem unconnected. But this is the point that opens the world up. You go deep enough in these organizations, I don't care if it's Facebook or Google or YouTube or governments or um, health networks, whatever. If you go uh, deep enough into them, you meet that point in those organizations where they meet the web. And this web is the, is the coordinating force that gets all of them, while they seem random in and of themselves, to work as one unit to this end. So I'll give you two quick examples. Um, when the, um, the big C um, appeared out of uh, China, or at least the, uh, the, the story of it did, the World Health Organization, um, which was created by the Rockefeller family in 1948, and is now run by Bill Gates, who is a Rockefeller gopher. Great guy. Their families go way back. Great guy. Yeah, and eventually connect, according to some. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Um, they, they, the World Health Organization set out the narrative. This is what it is, and this is how you must all react to it. At that time, if you remember, Silicon Valley platforms like Facebook and YouTube and so on, were saying, we're going to censor postings and videos that challenge the World Health Organization version of events. Now, from a everything is random and unconnected point of view, you'd look at that and say, well, hold on a minute. You're supposed to be the, 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 the town square, uh, open debate, and you're saying right at the start, you, you, you're going you're gonna to censor anyone that challenges the World Health Organization version of events. So from a random point of view, that's unexplainable. But from a web point of view, it's perfectly explainable. As I show in the books in great detail, um, Facebook and Google, etc., weren't are not just controlled by this cult. They were created by them. You look at their background and where they came from. Never mind the cover story. Look at the real story. And so what you've got with the World Health Organization created by the cult through the Rockefellers um, and why to control global health policy from a single point. That's why centralization of power has gone on uh, century after century and getting faster and faster and faster because the more you centralize power, the fewer people have the power over more and more people. This is how the cult operates. So what you've got in that situation I've just described is the World Health Organization putting out the agenda that the cult wants people to believe and the response that the cult wants people, to, uh, governments, et cetera, to have. And you've got the, uh, and, and the uh, World Health Organization, a, a cult, entity and then you've got silicon valley another cult entity censoring on behalf of the world health organization narrative so the cult narrative um is the one that prevails and then there's another example and it's a very sinister one that's sinister enough but the big pharma cartel oh. that has produced these uh big c vaccines that are not the vaccines uh, by any criteria except they had to change the criteria of what a vaccine is to fit this because they're not a, a vaccine in the normal uh, description of a vaccine but 
Um, the big pharma cartel, now through Pfizer and Moderna, et cetera, was created by the, um, by the Rockefellers, same people that created the World Health Organization, uh, through J.D. Rockefeller. And that expanded into the big pharma cartel that we see today. Now, when you're someone like me and you, you kind of see how it works, you know that when Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, whoever, go to the CDC uh, or the FDA in America, the so-called regulators right. of big pharma. Sure. And they ask for permission to use their fake vaccine on younger and younger people. You know they're going to get it. And we have an organization, the equivalent of the CDC um, in Britain, called the uh, MHRA. And you know that when these characters from Big Pharma go to the MHRA, they're going to get permission for whatever they want. And the same around the world. And that's like, well, hold on a minute. These regulatory agencies are supposed to protect the public from Big Pharma, right? Yeah. So why do they never push them back? Why? Because the cult created Big Pharma and the cult owns the regulatory agencies, which means one arm of the cult gives permission to another arm of the cult to advance the cult agenda of uh, putting this uh, absolute toxic shite, synthetic genetic material and um, nanotechnology into as many people as it can. And this isn't so this, the first once time. You realize how this structure works, it, you, it, the world becomes an open book. Yeah. And, and you make a great point because, you know, you'll hear people say, how can Pfizer or Merck go into court, you know, two million people dead from Oxycontin because they lied about the addictiveness, the arthritis drug that they really killed a lot of people. Uh, here's 20 billion, even though they made 400 billion on the drug. Here's 20 billion and they go make another one. One thing you had said that uh, I want to go back to real quick, if it's OK, with the spider. So with the. With the spider and the simulation, the, the way I can make it maybe simple to myself would be when we see in a simulation these ice ages that we know have happened, you know, we there's factual proof of at least seven. Would you say that that would be equivalent to, say, on the Nintendo? Okay, like this is a bad copy right now. The hierarchy, the spider, A or B, it's not good enough, boom, hits reset. There's the ice age because everybody has glasses on and we just think that that's normal. And the hierarchy, the higher level, this is too bad of a copy going too wild. Boom. Reset. And then another question uh, within that, my ex-wife, for some reason, whenever we would go out, she had this, I think the words called Aurora, like she would just know she would sense other people. This is a bad person. Go this way. Tommy, stay away from this. Don't go there. She had that aurora where she just knew. And I hated it because she was always right. I could never be wrong. She'd say, Tommy, this is a bad idea. And little and behold, it was a bad idea. It just had that aurora that I've never seen. Just go into a room and she could just pick out this, that, this, that. Boom, boom, boom. And I think that would relate to what you're saying that maybe that nut at the time, you know, she was at that frequency level where she could interpret things at a different level than I could at the time or someone else because she was right. 
Yeah, well, I can talk about both things, but let's talk about the, the second thing first, because again, it's real simple. Um, the more you focus your attention on the five senses, the more you become desensitized from your other senses. Because, you know, you, you, we see a body, but actually the body is a projection, a holographic projection of an information field. Um, and so we have an electromagnetic field, which some people call the aura. And if you focus attention um, on the five senses alone, you disconnect, withdraw from the sensitivity of your electromagnetic field. But other people, and the person you've described obviously is one of them, um, retain that sensitivity. So, and this is a very, very, very important area. This. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing and I'm, I'm a joking and I'm a nice guy. Hey, how are you doing? Nice to see you. What, uh, yeah, all that stuff, right? You see that with politicians. So their, their face is doing one thing and they're bonhomie. And they can hide themselves if they're skilled at that. And these people have serious amount of lessons to do that on the inside. But they can't hide their field because their field is a, an amalgamation of the frequencies they're giving off. So if they are uh, deeply unpleasant, sinister, psychopathic people, they can, oh, how are you doing? But they can't, they can't hide the frequency they can't and some can so, pick up on it like someone you, you were talking about mm. they, they walk into a room now if they were a five cents only person they'd see the bonhomie oh he's such a nice man he is but the sensitive people they're picking up the energetic field and it doesn't matter what their face is doing they're picking up the real them and therefore, they say, well, that person, look, stay away from that person. Or they'll, they'll, they'll be walking down the street and they'll be, because um, everything is a frequency. You know, if someone's um, hiding behind a, a wall or something to attack you, the frequency uh, that they're going to do that and the nature of who they are is being uh, projected by their field. Now, if you are only a five sense person, you won't pick that up. But if you are a, a sensitive and energetically sensitive person, and by the way, that's how we're supposed to be. The, the, the world, the manipulated world has, has, has taken that from people. This is why you, you get people that live lives away from, uh, you know, Western society and indeed, you know, Western society is now global society, really. Um, you'll find they're far more sensitive to these things because they've not been desensitized. Going through school is a desensitization program. That's what one of the major reasons it's there for, to withdraw you from these, these natural sensitivities. But someone um, who is sensitive would pick up what's coming off what, whoever is uh, planning something unpleasant, and they'd say, ooh, don't let's go down this way. Let's, let's go this way. Because they're picking it up. They might not know, oh, there's a man around there and he's going to do this, but they're picking up the vibe and they think, ooh, no. And this is what's happening all the time. So, you know, you go into a, a house that's where there's been a lot of really uh, horrible things happen, like maybe some, some big mansion or something, and, and you feel, oh, dear, oh, 
it's horrible in here because you're picking up the frequency that is just vibrating there of all the things that have happened and all the sinister people that have been there. It's this is a completely different level of interacting with the world. They don't this 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 cult and this this demonic realm doesn't want us to have those sensitivities because you start to suss the world. It wants us here desensitized and withdrawn from the world and stuck only in the five senses, which means only in the simulation, only in the matrix, which they control. And in terms of um, uh, the, uh, what, was, what was the other point? Well, Second point well um, uh, a reset, a reset, oh, but the, the, the times oh, when, reset. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the reset. Well, I wrote a book, uh, came out in 2010 called Tales from the Time Loop. And I was um, exploring, looking at the evidence of the fact that uh, this simulation that I, uh, I talk about was actually a time loop and actually goes around in a loop. So uh, what, what um, if you think about it, um, we come in, say, 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 say there is a loop um, and it, it resets and then the loop starts again, right? Well, excuse me, if you only come in for what, the biblical three score years and 10 or whatever, you are only experiencing a section of the time loop. So to you, you've moved from past through present to future. But if you stayed in the loop for the entirety of the loop, you'd actually come around to where the whole thing started again. And I, I think that there is a, 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 a part of that. And that time loop may also have implications for what you mentioned earlier, um, uh, deja vu. Um, and so uh, this reality that we're experiencing is just so different, so fundamentally different and so much greater vastness than what we think we're experiencing. But what we think we're experiencing is what we're supposed to experience to keep us asleep and to keep us um, in, uh, in ignorance. And just on that point, we, what, what, this is, again comes to this cult. Um, we live in two worlds. Within one world, within one reality, we live in two worlds. There's the world of the cult, the secret society global network, and there's the world of the population. Now, that what this cult knows, the inner core of it, like I say, not Bill and Joe down the lodge, they know what reality is. They know about the simulation. They serve the simulation and that behind the simulation. What they don't want is for us to. So what happens with the cult is chosen people are brought into the cult. And this is why it operates in, in so many ways in, in families and generations through families um, to keep it um, isolated. They pass on this knowledge from generation to generation, plus the fact they've got this connection up to the gods that, that feeds them information. Now, the population is in this other world, and this is a world that's been created by the cult to keep the population in ignorance. So um, who was behind the creation of the education system in America? Uh, the Rockefellers, J.D. Rockefeller and so on. Um, and the, the idea is that you control 
and we're seeing this more and more now hysterically now sure. with censorship going crazy sure. you control the information that the population the target population receive about reality about the nature of the self the i about the nature of the world and world events and you make sure that they stay in that information bubble and that information bubble leads to what their perceptual bubble which comes from the information they receive and over here the cult is passing on advanced information advanced knowledge through the generation so you've got this massive discrepancy an advantage between those that have advanced knowledge and the population which doesn't and what people like me are doing is uncovering the information that this cult knows and giving it to the population of course when you do that most of the population that's in the bubble think you're crazy or mad or dangerous yep um, and it's like when morpheus in the matrix uh, was walking down with neo down the street and he talked about you know uh, uh, freeing minds and he said some some minds are so um inert so uh dependent upon the system that they will fight to protect it and that's what happens well you've got the you've got the population not all the population a lot less now after the last two and a half years but um a lot of the population most of the population will defend the very prison state that's enslaving them and defend that which is enslaving them yep uh and so when you look at things like black lives matter which uh, is not about black lives it's about dividing and ruling the population down the fault lines of race which are just labels and irrelevant to consciousness we're all the same consciousness this is why blm is um is funded by billionaires you know when i was growing up the so-called left in politics um uh, and that's where i grew up in the left in politics um uh, and uh, that's what my you know my family was they they always were left leaning politically yeah mine too but in those days the left the left was um challenging um power they were challenging the the power and influence of what were then the millionaires not the billionaires um and they were challenging injustice and they were demanding freedom of speech um and now the the left which has been inverted is in bed with billionaires of the cult to take away freedom of speech to um uh, not challenge billionaires but to venerate them um and there's been this massive um uh, shift and so you've got what what's called the woke mentality which has all been manipulated by the education system which the cult control um they um are the foot soldiers uh, of the cult and they apart from one or two of them they won't even know there is a cult they're completely uh, programmed to push for what the cult wants while ironically thinking they're anti-system and anti-establishment which is always makes me makes me laugh and so what are they doing um they're so inert so dependent upon the system mesmerized by the system programmed by the system that they will fight to protect the system while thinking they're trying to change the system which they they're not they're, they're just uh, playing out the cult script without realizing there is a cult or is a script
And it, it, it reminds me of China with Democrats. Like these billionaires came in. Oh, you want to run for uh, president? Sure. Here's a hundred million. Here's a hundred fifty million. No interest. No interest. Two, three years later. Hey, remember that favor I did? I don't want the money back. But this uh, law that you're going to put in this sanction. Remember that hundred fifty million I gave you? It's kind of like that with what you're saying with this is that. Yeah. You know, right. The correlation between the two, you know, the money comes in. Now everything changes, bought out. You know, now there's no choice, just like China does with everybody. Or a lot of people. Yeah. Well, China, 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 you see, is the blueprint. Yeah. Well, the thing about this cult doesn't have borders. Borders are for the population. In fact, one of the cult agendas is to have no borders, to get rid of countries. That's why it's dismantling. Um, American society now it's bad uh, and changing the demographic Very uh, through opening the southern border that countries are, are supposed to not exist they should just administrative units like something out of the hunger games is all, all that's uh, all that's planned that everything is going to come from the global center that's what they want and so the Mao revolution in China was a cult revolution and it was to create a closed society within which a system of total human control, not least through technology, could be incubated and developed. And once it was incubated and developed, it would be played out across the world as the global system. And of course, in the last two and a half years, what has the West become more and more like? Well, China, of course, it's the blueprint. So I've said for years and years and years, if you want to see what's planned for the West tomorrow, look at China today. You have. So now in, China, they have this so-called zero COVID uh, policy, which is obviously from a health point of view, utterly insane, but that's not why it's there, of course. Uh, so you have these QR codes and you can't do anything unless you have the, your information's right on the QR code. You can't do anything. I don't know whether you saw it a few, about two weeks ago, there was this amazing kind of uh, footage that came out of China where there's all these cars lined up in like a traffic jam waiting to go through a checkpoint or something. And this drone comes over um, and it's picking up <coughs> the QR codes in the cars. Wow. And if you don't have the right one, then you can't go um, any further. And um, so this is the, the world that they're moving towards because the idea um, is to move from manipulating perception by controlling information to the perception coming direct. This is where it's moving. And that is um, the whole background to people like Ray Kurzweil, the Google executive, who says that by 2030, we'll start to have uh, artificial intelligence connected to the human mind, the human brain. And in his words, not mine, once that connection is made, um, AI will do more and more of human thinking until eventually human thinking as we know it today will be negligible. And that's the reason why um, they want to connect the human brain to um, AI. Um, because then we become a hive mind of AI or more to the point, a hive mind of that which controls AI. And um, so- Which you wrote about about 15 years ago, you wrote about this. 
You wrote about this 15 yeah, years ago. I called it man and biotic. I it the assimilation. Yeah. Yeah, I called it the simulation, the, the, the absorption of human consciousness into AI. And then there's this other question what is AI? What is it ultimately? Oh, yes, it's algorithms on one level. Then you have another level of AI, which uh, learns from data it receives and absorbs. But and that's in this reality. Learns. What really is it? Yes. That's in our blinded reality. What really is it? You are absolutely right. It's in our reality. What is ultimately AI? I say it's this um, non-human force yeah. operating outside of uh, human sight. A higher being, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. So it will then uh, be delivering en masse the perceptions of humans. That That is the ultimate total control. So if you look at the metaverse and the concept of the metaverse, okay, um, you start out, we are an expression of infinite awareness, all it is, has been, and ever can be. You have a layer which disconnects people from that um, and gives them a fake reality called the simulation. You then create the cloud, which is a technologically generated sub-reality. That's what I called it decades ago that was coming, if we didn't stop it, is the technologically generated sub-reality. They're now called the smart grid. That's why everything's called smart. It's all part of the same grid. Now, the metaverse is a layer of perceptional enslavement, even beyond the, the smart grid. In fact, the smart grid with its 5G, 6G, 7G to come um, is makes possible the metaverse. And the idea is they're pulling you in more and more from there, simulation, smart grid, metaverse, uh, myopic, uh, continuing myopia of self-identity until you're in a maze within a maze within a maze, which is the idea. Um, and where do you start to get out of that? So um, this is why it's so important. It's vital. It's fundamental. It's foundation that we um, continue or revise our self-identity to hold the understanding that we are consciousness and everything else is an experience and an illusion consciousness is the true i and it is the true um reality and uh so uh if you lose that you start getting pulled in and the equivalent of that is this from uh orwell's 1984 two plus two equals Two plus two equals four. I am all that is, has been, and ever can be having an experience. I am infinite consciousness. Two and two equals five simulation. Two and two equals 58 smart grid. Two and two equals 2,450 metaverse. And so it goes on. That, so uh, this is why if you look at the world, it's full of demands that we believe utter nonsense, uh, the equivalent of two and two equals five. All of it 
you, you uh, bi biological men and women that just, just really exist is not well actually it does 200 equals four okay thank you and and all these other nonsenses that we're told to believe in you've got to hold this two and two equals four and i'm not compromising on it and i fundamental to that is self-identity and the self-identity with consciousness not the illusions and the diversions and the mazes of this crazy world that's been created to enslave us and enslave what enslave our perception that's a great point two plus two equals four says who so what is time then? Because in this reality, we know time as it takes 24 hours for the earth to go around the sun. So that's what we see as time. But what really is time? Well, it doesn't exist. It's a perception. It's a perception. Um, and it's a perception of the matrix. It's a perception of the matrix. The matrix gives us the illusion of time. It gives us the illusion of um, time passing from uh, past through present to future. Um, so in the infinite level, the true reality, the prime reality, there is no time. Within the simulation, there is the illusion of time. And, you know, Einstein talked about the illusion of time. And, you know, he talked about, uh, you know, this is not word for word, but uh, it's a paraphrase that um, if you're... Um, got your your finger in a saucepan of boiling water time seems to pass very slowly and in his words if you're with a beautiful woman time seems to pass very quickly because time's a perception so here's is is a great example put it into perspective great example okay so tesla said that too there is only, tesla there is only the um sorry yeah there's only the uh the now the now is the only existence and it's, it's the no time now and the all time now. It's the all encompassing everything now. The now is the only point where anything can be changed or, 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 or done. Everything else is an illusion. I'll give you an example. So where are people when they think of the past? They're in the now. Where are they when they worry about or think about the future they're in the now where were they when they experienced the past they were in the now where will they be when they experience what they call the future and it becomes what the now everything happens in the now the perception of past and future is an illusion and it's an illusion that can pull us out of the now and therefore pull us out of the power to impact upon the now. And what pulls us into the past is regret, resentment, if only. And in the future, it's worry of prices and food prices and energy prices. And what about the kids? And But the only place that any difference can be made, because the only existence is the now. And it's the illusion of, of, of time is a massive controlling force. Time is a perception that uh, controls everything, if you like. It's every time. What's the time? Got to be there. What's the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh time's going slow today. Oh, time's going fast today. Time, 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 time. Oh, time. It's you notice I don't wear a watch. Yeah. Good for you. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 
I, I try to in, 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 um, interact with the illusion of time as little as possible. It's why I don't wear a watch. I haven't worn one for decades. Um, so, um, yeah, time is, is, is a controlling concept of the simulation, not of infinite reality. And one thing that I never understood as I was reading a lot about you, when you would, when you would mention reptile, reptilial, however you want to say it, all of the drawings that we found from, your, from the ancient past, what do they look like? What do the drawings look like? In the caves, on the stones. What do you think? They just came up with that? Like these drawings that look like a human with a, a dinosaur head on top of it. Like where do you think they got these ideas from? So when you had talked a lot about reptilian and so on and so forth, I don't understand why they ridicule, ridiculed you. They must not have read anything about the history that we have, which isn't much. Because when you go through history, you see reptilian shapes constantly i mean yeah i know there was a bunch of uh, psychedelics around but i mean they're all over the place in scriptures drawings carvings you name it so therefore i don't understand why there would be any ridicule but i do because they're in that bubble that you speak of now how does that relate to what I liked with the Saturn and the rings and the moon and the, the, the moon being an amplifier for Saturn, right? And so on and so forth. Can you, can you break that down for me? Well, in terms of the reptilians, um, I didn't go looking for it. It found me. Uh, I was traveling in America in 1996 and in a period of 15 days, I met 12 separate people in 12 separate locations. I was traveling every day who told me the same story that they had seen a human change into a reptilian form and then back again. And from that moment, uh, again, the synchronicity of my life, I was meeting loads and loads of people all over the world telling me the same experience. And again, um, if you are coming from the normal perspective the program normal that the cult has set up for humans we're not and you say we're not that's impossible yeah that's crazy right hold on a second um if you say it's not possible to shift from a solid form to another solid form then i'm the first to agree with you but that's not what's happening. But because of the five sense centric humanity, um, it sees everything in terms of solidity and therefore sees limitation everywhere. So what is a shapeshift? Let's look at this. Um, this non-human force, which um, absolutely takes a reptilian form, not only reptilian form, by the way, no, no, but it's a massive part of it operating in these, this, this lower um, astral dimension, just outside of our, our reality. Um, Mr. Ike, Mr. Ike, and, I'm sorry. Wouldn't you think for anyone to think that other life would look just like us, wouldn't you think that would be just a mindless person who doesn't think? Being that the body, well, whether you're in a simulation or not, it would adapt to its environment, correct? Over time. Not every atmosphere is the well, same. Uh, 
so on and so forth. So for yeah. somebody to I mean, think this, that everybody is, looks like us is just, to me, that's a person with an IQ of about yeah. minus 10. That this is, this is a, 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 a fabulous point uh, you raise because what I say to people is you can see a smear of 0.005% of what is said to exist in the universe. And therefore, you're seeing a tiny fraction of reality. Look at the different human forms alone. Look at all the different animal forms. Look at the insect world. Look at, look at the, the diversity of form in this tiny band of frequency that we call the human world. And then imagine the diversity of form that exists outside that tiny band of frequency. It's, a, it's, an, it's an excellent point. Um, and, but, but again, it's, it's this uh, focus of attention, this myopia. Life as we know it can only exist if it looks like us. Um, and so you've got this, um, this reptilian and other forms, but the reptilians, which were a major one, in this non-human uh, level of control, uh, which is why, as you point out, there are so many uh, records of it through, through history because, you know, they were interacting. They're there. They're, they're factual. Mean, factual. We could see it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And. So, and I've, I've talked to people, Satanists who've taken part in rituals, and they say these reptilians just appear in the ritual with, through, through the thinning out of the dimensions uh, that the ritual creates. So, um, but, but okay, what is, what is form? Form is holographic, and a holographic uh, form um, works just like the holograms that are created in the human world. So, um, what, what they do when they create um, holograms is they, um, they create a, a frequency field version of whatever's being photographed holographically. And if you look at a holographic print, it's just a series. In fact, it's very much like a, a close-up of the, the lines on the finger. That's not an accident either. <coughs> and, and what happens is, they then focus a laser, or what they call coherent light, at the um, holographic print and waveform print. And what then happens, apparently miraculously, is a three-dimensional version of whatever's been photographed is projected. Um, and so the way that we create reality, this holographic world, is very much um, the same. So we are um, picking up information from this frequency field, turns it into electrical information, sends it to the brain, and the brain then creates this digital, which is where numerology comes from, reading reality through numbers and the, the mathematical level, because it's digital. One level of this reality, this matrix is digital. That's where all that comes from. Um, and, and the digital... Uh, becomes the holographic. And the, the holographic is illusory physical. It looks three-dimensional. And if you look at some of the best of the now digital, that's what they're creating now, digital holograms, um, they look as solid as you and me, but they're not. Um, and so 
what's um, happening is you've got a frequency field and from that is projected, just like the holograms that humans make, a apparently three-dimensional uh, uh, reality, a three-dimensional form. So these um, particular bloodlines, this is where royalty comes from and aristocracy. Why do these people interbreed incessantly with each other? Because they're, they're holding a, uh, a, a basically a software program that relates to their bloodline. And what is their bloodline? It's a hybrid. Part of the field is human and part of the field is non-human. And when they are infiltrating our world, they um, project the non-human, uh, sorry, the human form. And so what they're projecting is a field of information. The observer connects with that field of information visually and through this process of electrical information holographic creation that information field becomes a 3d holographic field when you're looking at me now my body is a three-dimensional holographic field um, uh, which uh, people are um, turning uh, a frequency field into what they see in here so these hybrid bloodlines, um, they have um, two fields, one human, one non-human. So when the human field is being projected, that's the dominant one, which it is most of the time for obvious reasons. They don't want to know what's going on. Then anyone that sees them will decode their human field and they'll say, oh, yeah, it's a human. What happens in these rituals, I've been given chapter and verse on it, and also what can happen in times of really extreme emotion sometimes is that the non-human field uh, becomes the dominant one. It's a shift. And if you're observing, first of all, there's the human field and you're seeing a human. And then the shift comes. Now, it's not a solid shift. It's not a physical shift because there is no physical. It's an energetic information shift. But you as the observer are observing and decoding into reality the human field, and there's a shift. And suddenly you're now decoding the non-human field, say the reptilian field. And to you, the observer, someone has just shifted from a solid human form to a solid non-human form before your eyes. But that's not what's happened. There's been an energetic shift. Um, and that's what shape-shifting um, is. And, of course, you, you well know, you're obviously well-read, um, that um, shape-shifting is an ancient concept ancient. going, uh, going uh, way back. Way back. So you've got these hybrid bloodlines. And this is where royalty and, like I say, aristocracy and all this stuff comes from. Because this hybrid bloodline, if it um, interbreeds within the general population, then this software program starts to be deleted. Um, so it's not what it's supposed to be. This is why they interbreed with each other, because basically they are downloading software programs, information programs that hold this hybrid bloodline. That's why you get so many people in royalty, aristocracy, the Eastern establishment families of the United States that are, you know, same uh, things, they're just in dark suits, not coronets. Um, that they will um, have uh, 
people that they have relationships with, either they'll have their wives or their husbands. Because the wife-husband thing is about holding the software program for the next generation. Then they go away and often have um, their what they really want to do with other people. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you know I, I wrote a lot about Princess Diana. Um, I met her once um, a long time ago when I was at the BBC. But I, I, I read a lot about her and I researched a lot about her and I talked at great length to um, a person who knew her, was a very close friend, for nine years. And um, she was an esoteric thinker, uh, this lady, uh, and so was Diana, which is why they got such a great rapport. And um, I had um, been traveling around America and it was in that period I mentioned earlier where um, I, had, I met the, the, the 12 different people in 15 days who told me about seeing this shape-shifting phenomenon. And, and I'd just come back uh, from America um, at this time. And long story short, a series of synchronistic things put me in contact with this, this lady, this friend of Diana. This is after Diana had died, although she hadn't long died. Um, and um, so I'm talking to her and she came to see me to tell me about the appalling treatment of Diana by the British Royals, which was absolutely true. Why? Because Diana described herself as the Windsor's brood mare and they needed her bloodline, to uh, the Spencer aristocratic bloodline, to interbreed with the Windsor bloodline. And so they brought her and Charles together. Charles, Charles didn't want to marry Diana. He wanted Camilla Parker Bowles, who he picked up later after Diana died, picked up again. Um, but they needed the bloodline for the William, et cetera, they've got now and on to the next generation. So anyway, I, this lady's talking to me about, I, I, Detail this in, in great detail, what this lady said in a book called The Biggest Secret, came out in 1998. Um, and she, she, um, she was telling me about the way Diana was treated by the Windsors. And then she said to me, um, and I've got all this on one of those reel-to-reel -reel old tapes um, at home. Uh, she said, uh, you, know what, you, know, you know what Diana used to call the, Win the, uh, the Windsors? I said, no, the Royals, she said. I said, no, she said, you just call them the reptiles or the lizards. And she used to say, they're not human. Um, and uh, so I, I played, I played the idiot. Uh, yeah. I, 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 play, I play the guy who knows nothing. I've just come back from America. I've just been, been hearing about all this stuff. And now this lady is telling me about it. And I said, oh, really? Lizards, what's all that about? And so she starts telling me, and she used to, she used to be a hands-on healer and et cetera, and a healer in, in other ways, um, um, mostly other ways, um, for other, other royals and lower levels of the royal aristocratic uh, clan. And she said, oh yeah, you know, the, the Windsors are uh, hybrids. They're part human, part reptile, right? Oh, really? Oh, what? That sounds strange. I've never heard of that before. Like, I've been hearing it for weeks in America. And uh, she told me this story and, and um, I have also talked to uh, someone who says she took part in rituals with the British royal family. I mean, satanic rituals, horrible rituals, who's, who's given me chapter and verse. And again, that's in uh, books um, uh, that I've written. 
um, describing what she talked about. So th these things are real. And the, the fact that they are royal fits into the whole idea. What is royal? And then you've got this thing in royalty, haven't you? The divine right to rule. The divine right to rule, the divine right to rule because of what? Because of your bloodline. Now, it's not the divine, the infinite. It's the perception of the divine these exactly. people have, which are these, these entities, these gods. And, and it's the divine right of these gods to rule via these royal hybrid part human, part reptilian bloodlines. Um, and uh, that's what it's all about. That's what, and, and what happened is that there came a point eventually where the over-in-your-face um, control by royalty, which went on all over the world, uh, humans reached a point of awakening where they weren't having that anymore. And so, although bizarrely in 2022, we still have the head of state in Britain and not only Britain, but Canada and Australia and New Zealand is the British royal family. Yeah. Um, in most countries, they, they got rid of them because the, the people wouldn't have it anymore. So what happened at that point is this uh, cult representing these gods um, shifted control from over royal control to what we call politics and political parties. But um, it was a shift that actually was a, a very efficient perceptual manipulation shift because when you were controlled by a, a king or queen who um, was head of state because of who's had sex with who in what order in that family line, then you knew you were under the control of a tyranny. Um, a, a, a dynastic tyranny, a bloodline tyranny. But when they moved to politics, they put the tyranny, the bloodline, into dark suits. So if you look at the way they structured it, most countries' um, governments are decided by the election of one of two parties. Sometimes it's three. There's the old coalition here, you know, across the world. But take America. You've got two parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. So this is how it works. You vote for party A. And they advance the cult agenda. And you don't like that. So you say, well, the next election, I'm going to vote for party B. Because I don't like party A, what they're doing. So you vote for party B and party B advances the cult agenda. And you think, well, I don't like them either. So how do I get rid of them? Well, you've got to go back to party A. Yeah. And this is how it works. Um, and I, I remember, to, you know, a very topical thing in Ukraine. I went to speak in Ukraine in um, 2010. And the president there was a guy called uh, Viktor Yanukovych. Viktor Yanukovych was the guy who was thrown out of office in the Orange Revolution in Ukraine in 2004, he was. They threw him out. And they put another guy in. Orange Revolution, yeah, voice of the people. Actually manipulated in the United States, actually. But um, so then they didn't like the guy they put in and what he did. And 
they to get rid of him, they had to go back to the other party, which was still headed by Viktor Yanukovych, <laughs> the guy they threw off the revolution. <laughs> so they voted him back in. <laughs> they voted him back in. And, and, and he was the guy who uh, was thrown out in the, the next revolution, who's now in Russia, um, and they brought in this uh, guy, uh, Poroshenko, a total US puppet, cult puppet, in other words, and now we've got this uh, Zelensky, ditto. Um, and dirty. But yeah, that, that was a classic example of how they've fixed politics. So you're not voting for the person. You're not voting for the, the, the moral or uh, genuineness of the person. You're voting for the rosette. You're voting for the party. And, and uh, you know, when I, you know, look at America and I think, um, oh, th th this, this judge has made this decision. Yeah. Yeah. The judge is a Democrat. What? What do you mean the judge is a Democrat? He's a bloody judge. Shouldn't the judge be? What is political? Yeah. Situation? It should not make any difference at all. No, the judge. But everything's not... Democrat. Yeah, it is. A hundred percent. But this is, how it, this is how it works. You've got, and, and this is the same in every country, certainly true in mind. <laughs> um, you've got Democrats, Republicans, right? And so people are choosing between these two. Go one step back into the shadows and both of the parties are controlled by the same people. So it doesn't matter if it's a Republican president or a Democratic president, the agenda still unfolds. Now, under the Democrats, it's easier because they just do it. Under the Republicans, it's a bit more difficult. They still do it, but it's a bit more difficult because there's, there's people in the Republican Party, unlike the Democratic Party, who are pushing back on this cold agenda. They don't even know it's a cold agenda, probably, but they're pushing back on what's happening. So it's a bit more difficult, but it's still, they, they still have the same, um, the, the, the same direction the world goes into. Um, and this is how they've done it. But because people have, have this illusion of a vote every four or five years, they think they are choosing the government. They're not. Government's being chosen for them. You mentioned it earlier. Um, how do you become president of the United States? You've got to attract cuckoo land amounts of money. Where's that coming from? The cult sources. They own the president. Whoever it is, doesn't matter if it's they own Trump, them. doesn't matter if it's yep. Biden. They own the president. And they own the prime minister in Britain. Same thing. That's how it works. And then would you say that with the the glasses and the metaverse and then the holograms, you can they had an Elvis concert here in uh Fort Lauderdale in Florida. And they had Elvis come up as a hologram. And really, I mean, you could kind of tell it was a hologram. But point being is the cat, if you look at it from a perspective that you have been forever and that I have been for at least the last 10 or 15 years, you say the cat's kind of out of the box. Because if you can make a hologram like that with our peanut minds in this reality and then you have the major or the metaverse, which is basically the simulation we're living in now. It's just the simulation is way better. Okay. The cat's out of the box, but what about the animals? Because if you, if you think about it, animals, if, if they could look at us, they would say, these people can't hear, they can't see, they suck other than that. They have a brain where, where do animals fit into this whole equation? 
where where do they land? Well, first of all, animals, because they don't go to school and um, go to university and watch uh, CNN, um, they retain sensitivity with the field. So you look at so-called mysteries, they're not, uh, where uh, animals respond before an earthquake or before a storm. Before a storm. And mm-hmm. humans only know there's an earthquake or a storm when it happens, and they can see it. The five senses see it. Um, well, that's because that, as a storm or an earthquake is building, change is taking place in the in the field. In the, in the frequency. Magnetic field. In the frequencies, too. Yeah, in the frequency, exactly. And, and so the animals, are because they're sensitive, picking this up and they're responding to it this is why they know something's coming before other people do and, and what is intuitive intuition um or uh you know seeing the future and all this stuff it's it's picking up changes in the field and information in the field that give you that um give you that pers- pers- perspective so it's a um the animals, if, if you look at animals and then you look at humans, um, apart from the sensitivity of the, um, the, the, the animals, you're looking at a similar situation, really. Um, why are humans human? Why, why do humans act like humans? Because the vehicle um, is programmed to act like a human. Why does an elephant act like an elephant and not like a duck? Why does a duck act like a duck? Because the vehicle is programmed to act like a duck. So consciousness is coming into these vehicles. And the, if, you, if you don't um, use consciousness to override the program, then the program running through the vehicle will dictate your life. It will, it will dictate everything. And this is one of the things I notice as I've traveled around the world. It doesn't matter what the culture, it doesn't matter the, the background or the religious background or any of it. If certain things happen, it's like pressing enter. Everyone reacts the same because uh, the, the program is there, the, the constant program. That's why people react the same. You can, you can only override that everyone reacts the same program if you are um, coming from a point of consciousness that overrides the program. So uh, with, with animals too, um, they're following a program. That's why all these different animals, they, um, they act the same way. What they have, however, uh, on most humans is the, the energetic sensitivity with the field, which gives them um, uh, a greater insight into, into uh, what's happening and also you know, you look at cats, you know, a, a lot of animals can see further into the field than visible light, human visible light. And therefore, you know, you'll be in a room and the cat will be reacting to what to you is empty space. And you'll say, what's wrong with the cat? Well, stop it. There's nothing there. But to the cat, there is. They're seeing something that you can't see. Or when the dog barks. around it. Or when the dog barks yeah, all, all the time. Around it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Dogs too. And you know, you know when you know uh, how many times that that you you'll get a sinister place and the dog won't go in there. Yeah, because they're sensitive to it. They're sensitive to that energy, and they can they can probably see what we can't see, but cats certainly can. 
Um, and and so in this in this room that I'm standing in or sitting in now, um, are all the other realities. So what are ghosts? Ghosts are simply entities that um, enter close enough into our reality for us to see them. It's a form of interference. It's a form of visual interference, like two radio stations interfering with each other. You get one dominant station, and then you get the the less dominant one that's interfering. Well, that's the ghost visually. So in, in this reality, so they're, they're all they're horrendous. So it's just we can't see them, and we're not sensitive to them. In this reality, in this reality, that's what we're seeing. Like we we think we see a ghost in this reality, right? Yeah, but, but that's just what the ghost has done, what we call ghosts, what the entity has done, is enter our visual frequency range. But most of the time, not always, but most of the time, they, they look ethereal because they're in our reality, but they're not completely in our reality. They're, they're, they're like, a, like I say, a form of interference where they're, they're just enough that you can see them, but because they're not um, in this reality, uh, and in the frequency of this reality completely, they look ethereal. If they, if you could go into the um, to the reality that they're in, they'd look as solid as you and me, because the frequency range of them and and you would be compatible. Therefore, they would look solid. That's how it works. I, I know it's, uh, you have other plans. I don't want to take advantage of it because I definitely want to do a part. Two. Yeah. But anybody who listened to this for two hours and can't make sense of it, it it's so simple. When especially when you go back to everybody knows you hear your dog bark and you yell at it. What are you barking at? Stop it. You're going to wake up the kid, whatever. No, it sees, it feels frequencies that you just can't feel because it's desensitized. Right. Or it's exactly where we're fed all this BS, blah, 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 blah. And on and on and on. Amazing. Last question. Yeah, exactly. Last question, because I definitely want to, there's a lot to go through. And then, you know, we'll have all your websites, the books, your new book that came out. And anyone listening to this, watching this, you have to read the books because they're from the 90s, 90 to 2003. Everything going on today with the gender, the religion, the division at an all time high, the censorship you had talked about in the late 90s when censorship wasn't even a word, I don't think. Yeah. So. With these, yeah, it was a plan. Plan there. With these UFO sightings that they're all of a sudden showing us. To me, I go back and forth, you know, because I'm very into it. So I go back and forth. Part of me says it's military. The other part says UFO. For the for today, I'm on the military, and the reason why is because when I dissect those videos. When I dissect them, if I see something go from 30,000 feet to down in the ocean, I'm not going to be in that cockpit with my other co-pilot and be like, oh, that looks like a cute white lifesaver. Or did you see that? The first thing I would do would be I would be calling back to base saying, hey, look, I don't know what the hell this thing is. I don't know if it's armed. There's no sense of fear. There's no nothing in any of these. So in this reality, in this perception, what do you think that is? Do you think that's military in, in this current reality? Because we're pretty much on the brink of a possible war. 
And in history, whenever there's a war, whoever you may be going up against says, hey, before you do that, look what I have. Look, look, this is a taste of what you might deal with. I mean, that's what's happened in the past. Yeah, um, I, I looked at the whole UFO thing way back in the 1990s when I was traveling around America constantly. Talked to a lot of whistleblowers, a lot of insiders, a lot of military insiders. Um, and it was uh, very clear then that the American military, probably not only the American military either, but certainly them, they have what we call flying saucers. Yeah, Bob it's, Lazar. Uh, it's an anti-gravity. Yeah, Bob Lazar. Out, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, an, it's an anti-gravity technology. Um, and it's uh, a technology that's perfectly able to be created by humans. Um, but there are um, other technologies and, you know, a much, much, much more advanced that, um, that will be uh, non-human. Uh, and, you know, you've got these underground bases called DUMS, deep underground military bases, all over America, indeed all over the world. That's Pine Gap, for instance, in, um, in Australia. Australia. And the lower they go, they go right miles down some of them into the ground, into the into the earth, and they're they're, they're on different levels. And to go down uh, each lower level, you need a higher security clearance. And you know, I've talked to people, and there have been various uh, revelations by by people, are whistleblowers from time to time, um, about what goes on in the lower levels of these uh, underground military bases, and they talk about a. Uh, a place, a, a level where they interact, these non-human entities like reptilians, et cetera, interact with human scientists and what have you. Uh, and, uh, you know, this technology that's coming out, I've made this point so often over the years, um, you know, there's never a point where people are sitting around a table strumming their fingers thinking, okay, well, we've got to sit around and wait, wait, wait for some geek in a garage in Silicon Valley to develop the next level of the technology we need to impose this control system. No, it just rolls out. It rolls out faster and faster and faster because it's coming out of these deep underground military bases. And that makes your sense. Your Microsofts and your... Mr. Ike, that makes your front, sense. Your front, That's why it goes into yeah, the ocean. Your front it goes into the ocean to go yeah, over to... But, there you go. Yeah, was... you're, 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 um, you're, 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 you're Microsoft's and your big uh, um, software computer companies are just cover stories, as are your Bill Gates's and people like that, to get um, the uh, technology out of the underground bases into human society uh, without people realizing where it's really come from. Uh, this is this is this is what what, what what's happening, um, and so the uh, the technology of a flying saucer, a physical flying saucer, is absolutely human, um, and and much more advanced ones. There'll be the non-human, and there was a, um, a something I came across in the 1990s, which I wrote about, which was um, uh, revealed by a, a Canadian. Uh, journalist called Serge Monas um, of a uh, a plan, a project called Project Bluebeam to um, fake an alien invasion 
to justify the centralization of global power. <laughs> you remember Ronald Reagan said at one point um, that I, I uh, like if there was an invasion, if yeah. there was an invasion from outside, we'd all come together, wouldn't we? He was talking about you know the the, the situation with with Russia and the West, um, and if you want to justify centralization of power, then say we've got to do that globally to meet the threat from outside, any threat from outside. If you want to, um, I have this thing I've been, this uh, phrase I've been using since the 1990s, problem, reaction, solution. You, you, you want to change society, but you know if you just change it, you'll get big pushback. So you first of all create a problem or the illusion of you get the public to say, do something about the problem, and then you openly offer the solutions to the problems you've created, which are advancing your agenda further down the road in a way you'd never got away with without creating the problem or the illusion. of one. And if you want a, 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 to a global solution to globalize the world, centralize global world, then you need global problems. So you need global warming. You need global COVID. You need global um, attack from outside by extraterrestrials. The point is, the extraterrestrials um, are not coming. They're already here. And they're in the positions of power around the world. That's the revelation. Have you read anything from Dr. Greg Nolan? He was he was a uh, uh, maybe 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 over the years, but I've read so very much. I, I have to run this by just real really fast. So he he's the top blood doctor in the world. Out of nowhere, <clears throat> the DEA comes in, secret not DEA, secret service, whatever, big government officials. They come in. He thinks it's a prank. They start showing him pictures of these saucers, so on and so forth. He thinks his buddies in the office are pranking him because he, he's a blood doctor. You know, he doesn't do stuff like this. So as the pictures are coming across by these suits, one picture was somebody dead. And that took his attention. So then he starts looking and starts realizing that in this reality that they're not pranking him. They give him a thousand cases. And what he says is, is that, you know, these people see the UFOs, okay, he's a kook, he's a kook, he's a kook. But once that kook box gets too high, then somebody does something, or if there's a death or so on. So they give him all this information, so now he gets into it. So he narrows it down to 100 of those 1,000 sightings, goes and interviews all 100, narrows it down to 30. Every one of those 30 that had gotten too close to... The UFO, the drone that we made that we're just not telling anybody, they had a ton of white matter in their brain. And one person that had stated that they had touched it had died, but they had the body. And he did the research, and it seemed that as if if you got too close to it, it fried part of your brain, and that's what the white matter was from. No different than if I walk behind a jet engine as it's about to take off, I'm going to get fried. You're going to be talking to me in a flame suit, right? I I just wonder what your take is on that with that situation in this reality. And again, I always resort back to, and you made a very good point earlier, why now all of a sudden to deflect, to divide, you know, what else? Yeah, um, 
Well, anything that generates a, a powerful enough electromagnetic field is going to impact on the human electromagnetic field, the brain, which is electrical in, in, in electromagnetic in nature. It's going to have that effect. Um, uh, it's like being caught in a laser or something. Um, and the, the point you make there is, is, is an interesting one, and I've, I've made it myself. Um, I remember the 1990s uh, traveling around America. And when you were talking about UFOs, the official um, response was uh, weather balloons, nonsense, yeah. um, figment of the imagination, or it can be easily explained. Some crazy. Away. Yeah. Yeah. And now suddenly, in the last two years, really, um, they've started putting it in front of your face and taking it seriously and saying, you know, these are craft and doing things we don't understand. And I, you know, I've said many times, we've got to be streetwise here um, and not just fall for the idea yeah. that things we can't explain are um, necessarily non-human. Because one of the greatest ways of uh, controlling the perception of humans Decept. is to control, control their sense of the possible. Mm -hmm. So if you can, through this uh, cult and all its deep state, Deep state, that's the cult, uh, an expression of it. Um, through these uh, uh, networks, you hoard knowledge and deeply compartmentalized technology and possibility from the public. So when you use it, the public either dismiss the fact it's possible, because they don't think it is, they've never experienced that it is, unlike the, the cult, or they think non-human extraterrestrial when actually it's a, a terrestrial uh, technology that's just been kept from the people. So th these are the questions and the streetwiseness that, that, that people need uh, and the questioning. I mean, the point is this, if you look through human history, there's one thing that shouts out at you and that is that authority lies. It's always lied, it's what it does. It imposes its will, not least through lying. So when authority tells you something, instead of just accepting it, question it and, and ask this question, the key question, who benefits from me believing what I'm being told to believe? And if the answer is anyone that wants to centralize power, censor or advance this agenda towards a world non-elected world government of technocrats dictating to every community and controlling through AI, anything that um, advances that, if that's who benefits, then you should be very, very wary indeed, because that's how it works. And or uh, deflect, you, right? Um, or deflect. If you're deflecting, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. What's the best way to, what is the best possible way right now to deflect? It's UFOs because everybody's going to go for it. Nobody's going to look at, they're going to, yeah. even the top scientists will say, well, there's nothing on earth like that. So it has to be a UFO. How do you know? How do you know? We don't know yeah. shit about history. How it's do you know? It's the compartmentalization yeah. of science. Yeah. The compartmentalization of science is massive. Most scientists haven't got a clue what's possible. Not a clue. It's the, it's the inner core in the underground bases that know what's possible. Not your rank and file uh, uh, scientists. They'll dismiss something because they'll think actually it's not possible. Well, or, or they don't want to change what they wrote.
or they don't want to change what they wrote due to the ego. Yeah, that's that, that's another uh, part of it as well. They don't want to admit that they were massively uh, wrong about what they said about um, reality. So yeah, it's um, it's a fascinating time though because it's uh, one one of the things that um, that was said to me through that psychic in 1990 um, is that all that's been hidden. Um, or another one actually about the same time all that's been hidden is going to be brought to the surface where it can be seen um, in my lifetime so um, if you look at when that was said to me in 1990 there was no sign of any of that no. all through the 90s and all that stuff but what's happening now I mean what do we know now those that were interested in enough to look that we didn't know in 1990 95 or 2000, 2010, that we, we know now, more and more is coming to the surface, exactly as I was told that, that it would. And um, now we have the decision to make, how are we going to respond to it? Are we going to stay on the sidelines? Are we just going to acquiesce? In which case this will complete its, uh, its journey to human, total human control. Or are we going to not acquiesce? Because 8 billion cannot be controlled by a relative handful. That's what it is unless the 8 billion acquiesce to the handful. And that's what we must stop doing, and urgently so. I hope so. Well, I, I hope to get uh, some more time with you because I have a ton more to ask, but uh, I just appreciate yeah. the time that you did give me, sir. Yeah, what's amazing is that, um, you know, we've talked for what? I, I don't know how long it must be. It's a long, long time. Yeah, um, almost three. And, and, and yeah. yet, and, and yet, um, in, in terms of what's in my books over the last 32 years and right up to present time, we've scratched the surface. <laughs> Just to search. So um, there is a lot more. To talk about. Oh, I got I tons. Um, I, I got tons. And let's uh, let's go through everything, uh, your websites, everything else. So I got to go down so much because I had, you were one that there was no way I could try to play the no note game thing where I could just remember everything. I'm not that good. So I had to have notes on this one. But uh, we have your getter is Real David Ike. Uh, your new, all your books yeah, are at Twitter. Uh, tw <laughs> yeah, you say them all. Yeah, this is the point. Uh, this is the point. Um, I'm banned from Twitter. And uh, Elon Musk has just announced that, uh, well, he, that Elon Musk's Twitter has just announced that it's um, it's not going to re, uh, re restore my They're not? Account. I'm banned. Why? I'm, no, I'm banned from YouTube. Well, who knows? I'm I'm telling the truth. I mean, Twitter. I thought I thought Elon would let you back on there, but but I don't. Oh, Elon, you. that's another story. Elon's a whole nother story. I think Elon's a lot different than meets the surface. Yeah, he. Oh, don't start me on that one. I think he's a um, part and, of all. Anyway, so yeah. So there, there we go. It's um, I'm banned from YouTube. Um, uh, but uh, you can get me at davidite.com which is the hub where all my videos are videos all the time and you get all my books there, um, including if you're in America or in North America, you, the, the books will be uh, shipped from within North America. So you'll get them very quickly. Um, and uh, then there's Iconic, which is a, a media platform created by my son, which I do a lot of work for. I do a, um, Congratulations. a dot connector show there every, um, every Saturday, uh, connecting the, the dots of the week's news and, I do films as well. We've got a, two major films called Albion Heart of the World coming up at Christmas. Well, congratulations to you and your son. Congratulations yeah, to you, you and can, the little yeah, guy. I, 
Yeah, I did um, a, um, a film uh, recently, which has been massively well received, where I went into um, with a film crew to the Hellfire Caves in a place called Wickham, 30 miles or so north of London, which was, um, there were caves specifically dug by an aristocrat called Sir Francis Dashwood um, to do um, satanic ritual and orgy and all that stuff that, that went on. And actually one of his close friends who went in there from time to time was Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States. Hmm. So I go in there and it's a very uh, dark, demonic place and we see what happens. And you know, it, it, was, um, it was interesting. So that's, that's an iconic as well. It's called the Hellfire Caves. The Hellfire uh, and, Caves. Um, Check that yeah, out. So. You'll feel the frequencies, right? I can only imagine what you felt in there, but yeah. Oh, why? <laughs> do you feel the frequencies? I can there, feel man. them here. Yeah. Oh, what's the name of it again? So everybody knows. <laughs> what's the name of Strike? So everybody yeah, can check it's it out. Called Hellfire Caves, and it's called Iconic. Iconic dot com. Uh, that's where that. And and it basically we do news shows. We're telling the truth rather than uh, the official line, uh, all, all the time, every day, and then. Um, we do uh, full-length documentaries and and films and stuff, and uh, it, on every aspect of life, not just conspiracy. Every aspect of life, stuff you won't get in the mainstream. So um, I'm delighted with what my son's done. It's amazing. Congratulations.com is my. And we can get the uh, talk about the trap off your website. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, the 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 trap you can get to the website, and like I say, it's shipped from within the uh, North America, so you'll get it very quickly. Nice. And uh, you know, uh, we, we we're just replenishing it. It's been an am amazingly um, uh, well received the trap because it it really does go not only into this world, but I, I do that big time how this world is manipulated, um, but um, the other worlds and the the reincarnation trap and how we get out of here. It's uh, it's another step forward. Congratulations on all your success. And I'll tell you what, I I have the utmost respect for you because even when everybody looked at you like you were crazy, you kept going on and on and on. And now you can look at them and say, hey, am I still crazy? And in about 10 years, you could say, am I still crazy? Still crazy after all these years. Yeah. Because if... If a world that's insane doesn't see you as crazy, you've got a problem. That's right. <laughs> if somebody calls me crazy, I say, thank you. Thank you. I don't want to not be crazy. It was a blast, yeah. Mr. Ike. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. It's, it's lovely to talk about these uh, these deeper things and get the chance to do so. It's um, it's a real pleasure. I love it. And then, I, you know, we get to get it out to all ages and... You know, people are interested. They're slowly getting more interested as as it gets more crazy. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. We would love to see you again. Thanks, mate. Thank you. See you again. Don't Talk be a bloke. Bye. Don't be a bloke. Right? Don't be a bloke, mate. My friend from Canada used to always call me a bloke. Or a bloke, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I used to. Uh, about that. Yeah, my, my, I had a really good friend in Canada. And we would do a lot of coding on the computer. And whenever I would, you know, miss, mess up a line, he'd be like, mate, you dumb bloke. I told you, you bloke, you bloke, you bloke. So it just brings back memories. Yeah, right. he must be, uh, he, must, he must have a lot of English roots then. Yeah, he, he went from England to, uh, or UK to England. Oh, there you go. Yep, there, there you, you go. go. All right, Mr. Strike, thank you so much. See you, mate. See you. Appreciate it.